Judge Dredd's Redemption, Captain Ron Takes to the Seas, and Firefly Takes to the Skies. This week on 30 Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Later Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine. This is a huge week in pop culture history in the milestones of 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Get it? That's what our show means. We're looking at the world of mostly movies, TVs, video games, music, and more from the week of September 16th through the 22nd. That's one week in 1992, 2002, and 2012. 302010, tell a friend. It's a good show. We don't get to pick what we talk, what we talk about, but there is so many great things to talk about this week. Hi, we should just get started. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, who hosts with me. I'm Diana Goodman, and I'm the next Martin Scorsese. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls. And Chris, my time of not taking you seriously is coming to a middle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And it is a huge, huge week. Got to thank our patrons right it's off the bat. Giant! Uh, oh, pa- so huge. Patreon.com slash laser time. We got some extra shows going up. I don't know. Did, uh, well, Last Unicorn won a poll. Are we doing something with that still? Did I miss it? I don't know if you want to edit this out, but we've been talking. Are either of you going to be recording tomorrow? I will. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, sure. Um, that, yes, Last Unicorn bonus episode. As voted on by the, by the Laser Time Facebook community. Join that for like-minded discussion. A lot of things we'll, we're talking about. Because I've... We're not going to have a lot of time to talk about a lot of stuff in this show. So much happens in television in general. Some stuff is just going to get a passing mention. So if you, I always say no matter what comes out, it's always going to be like somebody's kind of favorite. It, it's interesting mm-hmm. to hear from you about that. So if we give something short shrift, it's not because we hate it. You might be more qualified to talk about it. we got a comment section, and we got a Facebook community to talk about it. So, yeah, do that. Patreon.com slash later time. Give us five bucks. Bonus episodes and more. Got to get started because it's such a busy week, September 16th through the 22nd. A little bit of news to bring you into the world of 1992, 30 years ago. Theodore Ted Weiss wins uh, the Democratic primary for NYC congressional seat despite having died before the election. <laughs> um, this got brought up in like a million yes. sitcom po- plots. Yes. It was like a joke. He He's the guy that lost to the dead guy. So what has happened is he was just a popular a candidate. He died three days before the election. There were about three other people on the ballot with him, and the dead guy won. Yeah, well, he was the incumbent. That just yeah. shows <laughs> what what a bias towards incumbency is that even the yes. dead guy can win. And as, as more you dig into politics, you learn how uninformed most of the <laughs> electoral process is. And yeah, if you're not paying attention every day, why would you know you, your congressman died? Like, yeah, if you're not reading the paper every day, most people don't. And maybe, I mean, it becomes like a none of the above option of like, well, let's just toss it to the governor to appoint someone because I think all these guys suck. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Ted Weiss was a good New York lefty. And uh, I think the federal building in Lower Manhattan is named after him still. Right. And, and I, I did for a long time, this would be brought up to point out the fallacies in our electoral process forever and ever because a dead guy won once but it's very easy to see how it happened when you put it all together it wasn't a conspiracy your pets didn't come from the grave and start casting votes for <laughs> Democrats that's not what happened and in other news I thought was you know I always think is funny in 1992 technology wise Sony feels a little late for them introduces their first ever CD-ROM player an external player the Pix 100 which will cost $1,000 
Oh, <laughs> it'll play your audio CDs, but also your multimedia CD, your Encartas, <laughs> whatever the fuck <laughs> is coming out on CD-ROM, it'll play Mist. those two. It's only missed. It can only play missed. It costs you $1,000. 1000 a thousand like motherfucker. A thousand dollars. And it's just incredible and an incredible fee. Uh, yeah, it would go down pretty drastically. Two grand, two grand in today's money. Yes. You want to spend two grand on a CD ROM player? You could buy every current gen video game console twice. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move into movies because there are some dingers some bangers in here all pretty notable if not Hell huge yeah. hits 1992 movies september 16th to the 22nd sneakers is still number one at the box office good hey. that feels like all oh, is right with the world we have a what are you an urban classic with south central with glenn Plummer, uh carl lumbly uh christian coleman and byron keith mins like uh this used to get a ton of airings on hbo stopped after a while but i know it's a classic within we're it's, getting a nice yeah. wave of gang related movies including yes. a movie called gang related you know we've already had juice <laughs> and boys in the hood yeah. and you know people addressing the serious issues of our time and yeah south central i it has kind of a different take because it's about gangs how you get involved in gangs how you try to get out of gangs but also like the intergenerational yeah. issue of that of like you have no options i guess you're in this gang your daddy was in this gang what the hell else is there to do? There is nothing else to do. There is no other way to survive. Yeah, I feel like it's not as fun as Menace to Society and Boys in the Hood, but it is no. trying to say something a little more prescient and serious. It just yeah, I, I feel so the, bad for Glenn Plummer as an actor, though. But uh, Jr. talk about the movie first. Oh, I was just going to say that, Chris, the way you know if it is a urban city classic is if it is referenced in the title of the 1996 parody right. film. Right! <laughs> Don't be a menace to, to South, South Central, Central while drinking your juice in the hood. Drinking your juice in the hood. Yes. And I think just in our conversation right now, we mentioned every single title drop in that title and i was gonna yeah, say i think don't be i think menace to society is the only one we haven't talked about yet okay. still coming up All right. and i was <laughs> gonna say uh you know it's a cla uh, an urban classic if you worked at suncoast in the 2000s and it was one of the only movies selectively put behind uh protective plastic for racist reasons holy shits oh. if there was an internet back then and you see the african-american classic section and they're all behind a second layer of security. Thanks, Suncoast. Mm. Glad you're not around. Movie. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, not even the only movie that we're talking about, about South Central LA in particular. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And these make a really good double feature. Huh. This and a huh. movie from 2012 going together is very, very interesting double feature. Right. All right. No, I feel bad for Glenn Plummer because this is like a big role and, and he's really good in it. And I just know him as the guy from Showgirls. <laughs> he's, he's also in Aww. what's uh, the bus that wouldn't slow down. That one. A speed. <laughs> and that's it. Like that kind of where his career started going. And he just sort of, eh, now he's like, he, every now and then he's like, hey, it's that guy. But it's mm -hmm. like, goddamn, this poor bastard. And then we have a Woody Allen classic. Okay. <laughs> Let's say. Now, actually, it might be a Woody Allen classic. I don't know. There's so much to tear into in this. We missed it, I think, about a month ago. The news broke that Woody Allen was dating his younger stepdaughter. Oh, the daughter of his co-star in this particular film. Yes. Awkward. That's going to so be an awkward that, premiere. <laughs> that story broke. And then a month later, a movie is coming out where he is playing in a couple with his same partner, Mia Farrow, and he also is interested in a 21-year-old. Weird! It's almost like a pattern! And I think they just, like, after that scandal, they're like, fuck it, we're putting this movie out 
we're going to capitalize on this. And so more wow. people went to see this than your usual Woody Allen movie. And yet I think it still lost money. <laughs> Even not, though it not is in France. such tabloid bait. Yeah, I, oh, I can't imagine God. that being this good is, publicity. No, this is the second Woody I, Allen movie I've watched in my life. Okay. Um, and this it's a better one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Again. Yeah. Okay. This is a joke. I am aware it's a joke. I realize I'm ripping off someone else's joke. It's also 100% serious. It's going to be Simpsons. The I know this. thing about every Woody Allen movie is that nervous Jewish that, fellow. That nervous fellow. <laughs> True. I'm serious. He is the worst yeah. actor. He has the uh, worst character development. The other plot lines in this movie are interesting, far more interesting than him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree for his later dramas, except maybe Hannah and her sisters, which I guess is kind of a dramedy. Yeah, most non-comedies that Woody Allen is in, I would rather have just about anybody else. Especially in this one, because it's husbands and wives, and it's uh, uncomfortable to have him hitting on Juliette Lewis, who we just most recently <sighs> saw as a goddamn teenager yeah. in Cape uh, Fear. Fear. Uh, yeah, and she's supposed to be 21, and Woody's new girlfriend was also 21 at the time. And <sighs> my, so, my, my. let the actual plot of this film I found mm-hmm. intriguing. It's tackling mm-hmm. a serious issue. It's tackling people who are giving up the reality of their relationship for a fantasy relationship. You know, Woody I Allen. Mean, they ha- mm-hmm. I know they people ha- with neurotic relationship problems in a Woody Allen movie. Shut this up. is my second Woody Allen film, guys. I know, okay? I know, I know. <laughs> oh, I know. Made, man's made more than 50 movies and more than half of them are about that. Yeah, you go ahead okay. and have your revelation, sweetie. Uh, well, <laughs> it's, it's just, it <laughs> tackles so that in a fairly interesting way. It does show a guy go like, well, now that I'm single, I'm dating my aerobics instructor and everything's wonderful until the aerobic instructor starts acting like a person until this image he built up on her is replaced by the real human with real flaws. Because there's this image people have that maybe if they weren't with their significant other, they'd be able to get someone so perfect and so right and it would just make everything perfect in their life and by and large that's not how life works Mm -hmm. you are usually with people who have an equal amount of flaws to you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's about people who've been in long-term relationships thinking like did i settle yeah should i try looking for something else am i actually happy or did i just like well this is normal yeah this is what i'm used to yeah no i mean as like i said guys had more than 50 movies and if you go through the dramas i would put this in definitely the upper half i think it's pretty dang good but the timing yep. why and of course obviously when the woody allen Sunny previn news broke everyone went back through his filmography and just had to look at manhattan and go jesus fuck and it's more he's been telling us this yes. whole time he's been forecasting this but yeah let's and also i mean i should <sighs> mention that just around that same time the allegations of uh sexual assault came out and everyone ignored them because they're like well mia farrow's bitter yeah we like this guy she- She's just be crazy. And it's like, mm. we like this guy. Yeah. And his one biological me, me kid. Has, I feel bad. His so biological like, kid yeah. hasn't started writing articles yet. His biological <sighs> kid. This is hilarious. Question mark. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. You know what is really weird is that Woody Allen and Sunni Previn are like 35 years apart. And so were Mia Farrow and Frank Sinatra when they were married. Oh, okay. Judge not, I guess. Oh, no. Judge away. But Mia Sorry. Farrow's not his stepdaughter. Yes. Judge away. I was kidding. Right. Mm. Are they still married? Mm-hmm. What? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. They're still together. Just so still me together and Woody Allen. Years now. Well, in this film, Woody <laughs> Allen's character has like this glimmer. He's approaching a bit of honesty, which I, I just wish the real Woody Allen could have acted on. And what the hell am I doing with the midlife crisis set? I mean, they're all, they're all wonderful, rather accomplished men. But in the end, I just felt like I was some kind of symbol of lost youth or unfulfilled dreams. Or am I being too dramatic? Okay, no, no, no. You, you are <laughs> no. the symbol of lost youth. I mean, yeah. the idea that younger people are attracted to decay is very appealing. Hey, look <laughs> at my body, which is closer to death. Isn't that more attractive <laughs> for you? I mean, that's you want to believe that's true. It's, but I'm it's, smart and I know things because I've had an extra 30 years compared to you. All right. Yeah. Can we talk about a movie that's all young people? Yes, please. Yeah. And it is amazing how many young people are in this. Right. And it's like the first teaming of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, I think, on screen. Because so. they're buddies and they're in a bunch of like smaller movies together. I think they always try to get each other roles. But yeah. long before the... Actually, hmm. can I, I, I have to tell the story because hmm. I, I looked it up. I heard the story from Matt Damon saying that there's this generation of actors who are all about the same age. Mm -hmm. And most of them are in this movie, but they would all go out for the same parts. Yep. Everyone in this movie went out for the main part in this and they went out for Scent of a Woman. Those were the two things. And they kept going and Matt Damon and Affleck in particular were just like, we're never getting cast. Like they go into a reading and like kick its ass and come out and look at the crowd there and be like, oh, fuck, Ethan Hawke is here. I'm never going to get far. If you don't remember, uh, Diana, you may not have heard the bonus time we did with our buddy Dan Amrick, but like mm -hmm. he was always up for Corey Feldman's role because he was the same age, hair color and constantly lost until the one time he yep. didn't. Yeah. Feldman's always taken his roles. If he's, oh, well, Feldman's here. Give up everyone. Yep. Exactly. But what? So, but it's fun to know that. Oh, for this generation, that guy was Ethan Hawke. Was, God yeah. damn, Ethan Hawke is here ruining Matt Damon's day. Oh, uh, and and what I also like about it before the whale recent, not to get to recent events. The timing on this is so it's good. crazy. It's it's this is the oh, Brendan the Encino Man guy can act, and uh, he yeah. kind of got a shot kind of immediately after Encino Man. It's not that long ago. To star in a little more serious this film. filmed first. Oh, did it? Really? And then Encino Man filmed and came out. Okay, so he was earmarked. And, yeah, but, exactly. And, and not, not to... Uh, I'll get into that after we introduce it. Amy LeCaine, Anthony Rapp, Ben Affleck, Andrew Lowry, Cole Hauser, Randall Bat Battenkoff, Chris O'Donnell, Matt Damon, and Brendan Fraser in School Ties. To please his family. This is a school two presidents went to. To satisfy his coach. Don't tell people any more than they need to know. To be accepted by his friends. You don't have to live up to anybody else's expectations. You are who you are. All he had to do was hide the truth. Why wouldn't St. Luke's have taken? They wouldn't have enrolled a Jew. You did this! School ties rated PG 13. Oh man, coward! We don't like Jews in our boarding school movie. Die, we were having, I was yeah. having a discussion with your husband about uh -huh. the public school system and the irony of all the talk of what's being taught in our public schools today from the right. Mm -hmm. The shit I didn't learn in public schools, in history books, and how quickly they skirt over everything, I had to admit, like, I had never heard about the Holocaust until Schindler's List. Wow. And, and, and when Schindler's List came out, instead of it being a section in our 
textbooks, they showed us Schindler's List. It, there was the World War II section was pathetically small. I know about more about the King Charlemagne's than I knew about World War II. <laughs> growing up well, as, in a public school system, and you mm. were in high school, Chris. Yeah, World I wasn't War in high II, school yet. Okay, when you were in junior high, World War II was about as far away as the Cold War is from us. Sure, but and mm. it's rare. It had a genocide. Uh, <laughs> to so did the Cold War, but yeah, it it's hard to teach all of U.S. history to school children. And the closer you get to the present, mm -hmm. the more likely are you are to run out of time. Yeah, World War II was pretty much where we ended every that's where time we in ended history too. classes. Yeah. Like, that's the yeah. most recent thing we're going that, that was about. part of, like, this greater American history thing. It, it, it was a footnote. It was a paragraph in a greater chapter in American history. But I'm saying school ties... Mm -hmm. I think I'd heard of anti-Semitism. We had Jewish friends, but I think even when I met Diana, I could be a little flippant towards the idea of it because I never saw it and it wasn't talked about. It wasn't taught. And School mm -hmm. Ties, this movie airing in afternoons uh, on cable was my introduction to that idea being prevalent in society. I was It just wasn't something I was familiar with. I didn't see yeah. it. Yeah, anti-Semitism is, is an interesting topic because it's racism but it's also kind of it's it's more hidden because mm -hmm. we pass as white folks think we're white we have white privilege a mm -hmm. lot of us majority of us because we're eastern european most of us um so you don't know we could be anywhere and then you say you jude someone down to buy a stereo right. and all of a sudden we're like <clears throat> yeah we're also because we're not so visually recognizable we're also not quite so obviously oppressed cops don't stop me for driving yes. well for driving well <laughs> so uh, it's an interesting topic for a movie in a way to get into racism sort of in general because it really is like i didn't know you like you're my friend and i didn't know you're part of this other group mm -hmm. and this tackles that specifically with you know like the super fancy blue blood set because it's about brendan fraser is from Scranton, he, he gets a scholarship to play football at a super, super fancy prep school filled with, you know, the bluest of blue bloods. Mm -hmm. And he just doesn't really mention that he's Jewish because he knows he's going to take shit and he knows he's going to get right. in trouble if he fights here. As opposed to in like public school, they can't. It's a little harder to kick you out for fighting over that. And yeah, and he makes friends with everyone. Uh, but oh, Matt Damon, little 20, 21 year old Matt Damon. Let it go. <laughs> is so mad because like he wanted to be the quarterback and my dad's watching me right now and then you know he finds out and then they all start uh hassling them mm -hmm. including second best naked shower fight in a movie oh uh, it's, it's eastern, no eastern promises, promises. eastern promises <laughs> and because we talked about europa europa a little while ago i was waiting for that to be like the catalyst of like someone's gonna notice he's circumcised and then yeah but no <laughs> But still, naked fight, Brandon Fraser versus Matt Damon in a shower. Yes. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> so, but it's like, it's a bunch of movies because it's like, it's a, it's a movie about racism. It's also kind of a football movie. It's also kind of a, you know, look at prep schools and like the incredible pressure they put on people. Like mm -hmm. Dead Poet Society has some of that. Then there's like a section that turns into 12 Angry Men for a little bit. <laughs> like there's a lot in this movie. I, I was, I forgot about all of that except for just like, did you hear that he's a G? Uh, yeah. And then like one guy being like, well, gosh, I say all this racist shit all the time, but I don't think I've ever actually met anyone who's Jewish. Right. Huh. Turns out they're just like us. Funny that. Right. Uh, but yeah, kind of a, an important that's the message of every racism movie uh, should be. I, I didn't get to see how it held up because I'd just seen it so many times, but kind of 
for me feels like an important film because like really all I knew about Jews is that they celebrated Hanukkah and you'd get responses from well-meaning people being like that's dumb but you do you <laughs> that was about the extent of anti-semitism I had seen at this mm-hmm. point didn't know how deep-rooted it was and then you know oh. 20 2015 and now you then you learn I I've been hassled uh, a bunch not mm-hmm. as bad as some other people I know people who in school people throw pennies at them for real to see if they run after them yeah Oh, yeah. I was told about how I killed Jesus plenty of times. I got Mm. proselytized to, told I was going to hell, that kind of stuff. I had one guy who was like a budding neo-Nazi in middle school who went to all my few friends that I had and told them they shouldn't hang out with me anymore. Then he got his ass beat so bad by a Mexican Jew. It was the (laughs) best day of my life. Oh, my God. That guy just trashed him. And all his little Nazi friends scattered. They're like, Uh, recommend to, to this day. What do you think? How do you think it holds up? It actually ended up pretty well, mm-hmm. I thought, because I hadn't seen it in about 30 years. I just remembered it generally as being like, oh, that's the movie about it being anti-Semitistic is wrong. But mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, it is so cool to see. First of all, it's just cool to see all these kids as little babies. Yeah. Second of all, yeah, it just generally held up. Um, I think the most shocking thing in there is uh, they dropped the N-word like out of nowhere. Whoa. Just kind of to underline the point. It's like, if you're anti-Semitic, you're probably racist against everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, whoa, no warning on that slur. Whoa, hello. Just what, once. Was there uh, African-American at the prep school? There are zero black people in this movie. I mm. would imagine. I mean, if you're a 1950s prep school, that would be a little unusual. I, I didn't even see like a groundskeeper or a cab driver or no. This is the whitest of white movies. But yeah, you just all these people are like, well, I'm not racist, but I can't date you anymore because of what my dad will say. Mm. Yeah. All the different flavors of people being just like, what is your fucking problem? Yeah. Also, Amy Locaine's in jail again. So that's what she gets. Right. Yeah. Um, she killed someone during a DUI and is serving the rest of her prison term right now. Whew. All right. All right. Well, so, yeah, one girl in this whole movie. <laughs> we got more women in the next movie, but just as few people of color. She, she Dude, like, this uh, movie is way more important than I even realized. It's pretty nuts. It's it. It's not something I go back and watch, but I remember in terms of a music and a scene and a vibe that was headed towards society, this forecasted it. I remember being in a car with my friend and I'm like, I'm going to get the soundtrack to this movie. I'm like, why? We've all we listened to up to this point is MC Hammer and Simpson sing the blues. But it's, <laughs> it's, it is, a, it, it's forecast so much more than whatever the fuck is this movie is about. It's to me, it's about the alternative scene creeping in. Well, it, it's yeah. capturing Seattle right at the moment before Seattle breaks yeah. nationwide. Yes. You and, know, there's so yeah. much that is very specific to 1992 Seattle that is just going to become nationwide yeah. in a few years. I mean, coffee, mm-hmm. artisanal coffee did really be a Seattle thing before it was a nationwide thing. And that's a plot point in this movie. They they work at the coffee shop that makes really good coffee yeah. not just what do you want your coffee black or with milk those are the only two types of coffee we have what's weird though is this movie was filmed about 18 months before it came out right and w- between its filming and it coming out the music it captures became mainstream and exploded yes the members of pearl J- ball of pearl jam is in this movie yeah. but they were mookie blaylock back then. yeah <laughs> and i think that's we haven't even said what it is to play the trailer yet but but to, oh. it comes from cameron crowe who at this point, it's the music. it doesn't, I don't know his reputation with music. I only know like his fast times 
cred, but I love Almost Famous now. Now, yeah, he has an obsession with music. It's clear he's painting a pastiche of this time and place that he's currently obsessed with musically. And that that movie starred Matt Dillon, Kira Sedgwick, Campbell Scott, Bridget Fonda, and Singles. Singles. What happens when the right person refuses to give in? Four days, he waits to call me. Did I overreact? Do you know who this is? Now, from the creator of Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Say Anything, comes the comedy guide to survive being single. Hi, Sandy. Just calling to make sure you're okay. She's okay. Bridget Fonda, Campbell Scott, Kira Sedgwick, and Matt Dillon. Singles, directed by Cameron Crowe, rated PG. It's just watch that TV spot, and it's like the dawn of everything that MTV would become for three years. It's fucking Even crazy. The cadence yeah. of that guy's voice yes. sounds a lot like the cadence on real world we don't want to overhype mm-hmm. this but they're just a bunch of cool dudes hanging out like it it yeah. sounds like yes like it's very bizarre i see a cultural movement the same way we saw uh gangster rap coming in a few months ago or even a year ago alternatives coming in a little later but uh who is that band in there i it's so distinctive which one? Um, Nirvana? In, in, no, in, in the... <laughs> no, they're the only one that's like not in in it. Nirvana hated this movie. They're like, because <laughs> that's a bunch of selling out, making a movie, just just try to steal all the credit for Seattle. Oh no, it's uh, it's Paul, it was was. Paul Westerberg. But it, it, yeah. Oh, Paul and, Westerberg, yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Paul, we got Paul Westerberg. We got Alice in Chains. Uh, oh, Soundgarden. Soundgarden. Uh, some members of Mother Love Bone, I think, floating around. Yes, yeah, um, and then some, you know, uh, Billy Corgan. Uh, it, it's a, oh yeah, a sound, smashing pumpkins. Smashing pumpkins are in there. Scre- screaming trees, mud honey. It's it's what's happening in Seattle, and it's weird to see that reflected for me fairly quickly in a film. And I think in the terms of music and Gen Xers, I was there, man. The single soundtrack became kind of this like lame thing for you to have because it was sort of everybody when albums were fifteen ninety nine of nineteen ninety two money. This was a really easy way to get into the scene. No, no. If you wanted an intro yeah. to grunge album. This is it, man. Yeah. This is what yeah. you started with. Yeah, and there's a bunch of songs on there. They're not on other albums. Mm-hmm. So this was the only way to get some of those tracks. Going back to Rewatch, because this is really, between this and Reality Bites, are really like, this is what Gen X is all about. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it is, though, singles in particular. I think it really is. It's a good follow-up to say anything, which is about, like, I'm a teenager. What am I doing? Mm-hmm. And this is like, I'm out of college. What am I doing? And it's about incredibly recognizably normal people Mm -hmm. they're very normal and they have very normal romantic problems like just ah, i feel like i've been in this movie at some point or another i think everyone is i mean these are people at 23 who are deeply worried that they will never find love the rest of their life yes and they're 23 (laughs) yeah but that's how 23 year olds think they absolutely think that so Sometimes 43-year-old people think that, too. It comes yeah, but true. they have hardcore evidence that that's the case. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. But it also... Oh. It's funny because it does oh. capture a time oh. in like, their idea of... <laughs> The idea that, like, I kid, I kid. <laughs> Sorry. No, in 1993, there's really the idea of, like, we can't have casual sex. You can't just hook up with people. Yeah. You'll die. You will die. We opened this with what? A come as your favorite birth control device party i mean i call sponge i want to know what it looks like that many okay (laughs) you got like four costumes you could come as i yeah yeah go with a tent without the the, that was cool i'll take a tent and throw away the cover and i'll go as an iud did that exist yet (laughs) yes (laughs) just the deadpool (laughs) 
Yeah, just wander around with tent poles. Yes, hanging around. Great idea. I mean, it's a movie in that, like, there's characters and things happen to them. I mean, it's not, like, exactly plot-heavy. No. Because it really is just a kind of a a bunch of different vignettes of people trying to figure their shit out and find someone to love them. It's the 1992 equivalent of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. It's 100%. Yeah. It's a, Instead of a bunch of 15-year-olds, it's a bunch of 23-year-olds. Well, it's, and a, it's a bunch of people closer like, to Cameron Crowe's age, I think, observing mm-hmm. a new sect of youth as he grows as well. Yeah. Yep. And he's grown as a filmmaker, honestly. Mm-hmm. This is a really well-done film. Um, he's, he's a skilled man. And there is also, I think, the start of Gen X referencing pop culture in this film. Really? Because there's like three references where it's like, look at me, I'm making an obscure reference to this old TV show that we all watch because there's only three channels, so we all watch the same things. You wonder why Gen X watched things and kind of hated them. Poor bastards that grow up on like Brady Bunch reruns. Jesus. Yep. Yep. Oh, it was terrible. So, I mean, my big worry was this is going to be way too dated. And there is a lot of stuff in here that is adorably dated. You know, the reliance on answering machines, that sort of thing. <laughs> but no, That's an easy what? fix. You just throw yeah. up at the beginning of the film, Seattle, 1992. Boom. Boom. It's a period film. Yeah, we know it's a period film. So, yeah. But yeah, so much of the stuff, like, it did definitely age well. I mean, the Seattle Supersonics, that did not age well. They but I, Seattle did get some light rail, so we did get kind Supertrain. Kind of. A, no, not the Supertrain. It's not Supertrain. Okay. Right, right. This guy is, like, 23, 24. He's not going to the mayor for, like, a million-dollar homeless shelter. He's going to the mayor with, like, a $2 billion infrastructure <laughs> project that is going to completely change Seattle. I mean, he never had a chance. I mean, come on. <laughs> Maybe he could get a committee to study it. Yeah. Yeah, you don't just go to the mayor and say, hey, give me $2 billion. Oh, video dating? That hasn't aged well, but that sequence is hilarious. With, uh, <laughs> Tim Burton as the next Martin Scorsese to direct someone's video dating profile that makes it's no it's, goddamn sense. It's immoral to do this. And two, mm-hmm. I'm very happy people are doing it. They're finding like these bins of tapes of old dating profiles and just uploading them to YouTube in oh. mass. Oh. And it is it is wrong and too hilarious to watch <laughs> some of those. When were women those private things? They were never meant to be shown to the when world. When were women but, into yeah. that mustache? Just I don't get it. Yeah. But I think the legacy of this movie, I did not even consider until I started doing research. I just thought, right. oh, yeah, this is a Gen X touchstone. Obviously, the the soundtrack, literally everyone had this damn soundtrack. This movie is Friends. Yes. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Cameron yeah. Crowe has said, my film inspired Friends. I think he has a, sh- a shot at that claim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they, the networks came to him and said, would you like to make a TV show out of this? And he said, no. And the folks coming to him were David Crane and Marta Kaufman, who two years from now wow. are the creators of Friends. It's a George Lucas George Flash George Gordon situation. Friends. I'll just go yeah. make my own. Yep, 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it is. It's Friends. We, we got, you know, a bunch of folks, some of them dated, but now they're just buddies. And some of them are interested in each other. They spend an awful lot of time drinking coffee. And there's also still no black people. <laughs> it is Seattle. Yeah. Like it is one of it. the widest cities in America, and that was more true in 1990. Yeah, and this is, but it's also one of those movies I'd love to hear from our community, especially people a little older than us listening. Even Diana. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> but it, but it's I don't know anybody who was this age when this movie came out, and I am a little curious as to like, did this speak to you? Did this inspire 
like what the world was supposed to become because for me i just remember it was this boring slog that had a pedigree thanks to the music it was introducing me to but i you know i'm like a teenager but you were, yeah you, but you were younger enough that's like this was well into your future which is why yeah, i wish right, you right. gone back to rewatch it it's like now that you're a grown-ass adult like yeah a lot of the dating stuff i related to more than I would have well, when I was 15. So. Let me ask you something, Diana. So I watched mm -hmm. this, rewatched this with my wife this week, and mm -hmm. she was super loving after this film because she was just like, thank God I'm not single anymore. I'm <laughs> yes. so happy I'm not playing the games. I mean, there's a... Oh, seriously. ...where a guy so goes up and says, you know, I don't have a game. And the girl says, I think not having a game is your game. And mm -hmm. my wife was just like, oh my God, I am so happy to be out of that world. You watch this. Can you remember the internal emotional state of being single? Is that real to you? Because I yeah. haven't huh. dated and anyone. I, and I haven't been single in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't yeah, been I have... single in 17 years. So that's it's I can kind of recall it, but it's it's in the it's in the distance and it is receding fast. Yeah. I can remember a fair amount of that. I think the lasting thing for me is in this movie, a sensitive ponytail guy. I dated a couple <laughs> sensitive ponytail guys. And let me tell you, <laughs> ladies and some gentlemen, sensitive ponytail guys are actually as sexist, if oh. not more so than the jocks at your high school. Sensitive ponytail guys just realize they can't become jocks. That avenue is closed. So they tried a different path but they haven't changed anything. They're yeah. just sensitive ponytail guys who secretly hate everyone. Yeah, they're, they're jocks who can play Wonderwall on the acoustic guitar. Yeah, they just, <laughs> they think they're better than everyone else, including all women. That's sensitive like ponytail guys are the worst. That's literally the guy's first line in this film. He's like, it's okay to think you're better than these people or, or something like that. That's close yeah. to his line. It's okay to despise yes. these people. Yeah, sensitive ponytail guys are raging narcissists and you need to run away from them screaming because you know what will happen? You'll call them on their narcissism and they will start crying so and overreacting so badly that you will feel terrible and you will apologize to them. I have a lot of experience in this. No sensitive ponytail guys! Sedgy dates right. a sensitive beardo. <laughs> My sensitive dates. beardo does not pull that bullshit on me. No, he doesn't. Uh, we got to move no. on because there's just so much to talk about in this segment in particular. Mm. Single, I looked. Oh this movie ended up in the long run making more than the next movie. Part recommend to singles, though. If you have not watched it, go watch it. It's a great period film and a great exploration of being single. Th this was pretty much yes. the definition of miscasting in a bomb. Well, I don't know mm. about that. Uh, but, but like I've seen... Here's what I want to talk about. There's a billion cult faves that come out of the 90s. What is yep. it with women in this movie? Holy shit. Oh. All the women I know around my age fucking love this movie. I don't know guys <laughs> who feel the same. Meadow Sisto, uh, Benjamin uh, Salisbury, Mary Kay Place, Martin Short as the straight man. Uh, Kurt, Kurt Russell and Captain Ron. From Touchstone Pictures, Martin Harvey thought he planned the perfect sailing vacation. But what he got was... Captain Ron! Are you kidding? Now Martin's boat. His wife. Captain Ron, may I have the camera, please? And his kids. You want a beer, you get your own beer. Are under Captain Ron's spell. And it's driving Martin crazy. Kurt Russell. Martin Short. <laughs> Captain Ron. Hang on, boss. Oh! Rated PG-13. <laughs> Captain Wish Ron. I wish there were an app that you could punch in a movie's name 
and would tell you the number of times it was played on HBO. <laughs> How many individual oh times God. did HBO play this one movie? I, I want that app. Someone better. The data's there. You just got to go through the right. TV records and you, you just, if some app to tell me that, because I swear I have never rented this movie. Nope. Never set out to watch this nope. movie, but I've watched it a bunch of times in bits and pieces just because of yep. HBO. I feel like I've endured this mm. movie more than I have watched it. It is not as meaningful to me, but I think even my sister loves it. And I've heard interviews with Kurt Russell that people come up to him all the time. They love Captain Ron. It's not a bad character for him. Yeah, I my my thought going into this was that everyone I knew had nostalgia for it because I saw it as a little kid. Because mm-hmm. I think just mar- partially because it's a touchstone movie and because it looks so wacky, I thought it was a children's movie, mm-hmm. which it not quite is. There's a bit too much sexy times going on, but the, Martin Short is the straight man. <laughs> so crazy. Why do that? It is the I first time he has ever been the straight man in film, I believe. Yeah, I, Yeah, I can't think of anywhere else. It's just, it's so odd. I mean, he gets to be exasperated a lot. And fall down a lot. But it happened to Steve Martin, too. Like, people love Father the Bride. Yeah, that's true. I guess we're kind of in that mold. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I can see that. But no, yeah, yeah, so this family accidentally inherits a boat, and then they got to sail it from over here to over there, and no one wants to go. But then they hire Captain Ron, who's um, an insane person. And (laughs) it turns into a fun vacation. It's it's a wacky comedy, so it all works out right. But if you're yeah. entrusting your life and the life of your family to this man, no, death sentence. Martin Short. That's a death sentence. He's I, constantly getting them in the wrong place. I should say, endangering them. Yeah. Last week, I think I had the just unbelievable pleasure of having done something Jr. hasn't. By that, I mean sailing, <laughs> and it was my friend's mega rich doctor father who paid a captain in Viagra to take us out. I, wow. I, watched, I witnessed the transaction. <laughs> How much Viagra it was do you pay lot. a captain? It seemed like it, like it was in a sack the size of like, you know, what like a 1920s bank robber would be holding. Um, <laughs> wow. That dude would be okay. fucking. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. So, I, yeah, okay. There were... Parts of this movie that were a lot better than I was expecting because I'd heard it's terrible and it was a bomb at the time. But mm-hmm. people have weird nostalgia for it, which means they saw it as small children and they had no taste. Right. But there were a couple things that pleasantly surprised me. They they set up that they have a kind of sexually precocious 16-year-old daughter. Then they get on the boat and Kurt Russell starts perving on the mom. And I was so relieved. Yes. So relieved. Yeah. This is a Disney movie, huh. after all. Well, back in 1992, that would not have maybe you're right. Be considered weird. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't. It would have been weird because you know she's 16. That's that's plenty old. Whatever. And yeah, he's giving the little kid beer, but you know, little kid never like gets drunk or throws up. No lesson learned there. That was fun. And yeah, Kurt Russell's just is. He's so enthusiastic about everything that so, it, it is pretty fun. Like he's a fun character, but the movie is. So can I go back to like. Most of the women, I, most the fans I know of this movie are women. Is that because mm-hmm. of Kurt Russell? I've never heard him talked about that much as a sex symbol. And, you know, he yeah. looks, he's not, he's Snake Plissken-y, but he's, you know, a little more bring home to mom kind of than Snake Plissken. Captain Ron, is he sexy? Him, I wouldn't bring Cap either of them home to mom. I don't care what eye the eye patch is on. But could he be a sexual awakening and young Elder millennials, uh, young yes. Gen Xers. Yeah, he's wearing a banana hammock for a bunch of this, and he is tanned, <laughs> rested, and ready. It just never occurred to me until I tried to rewatch it this time. Like, I don't get the love for this movie. It's not no, for me. I don't get the love for the movie, but for the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could, I could see. Uh, 
yeah, some young ladies watching this thinking it's a kids movie. <sighs> I wish you could trade well, under what's under the eye patch. There's there's always an appeal to the nautical life. The idea True. that you're mm. just going to get out on a boat, sail away from all your problems, go somewhere, and you can always be somewhere new on some island. That's that's yep. always going to speak to people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is. It is yep. mentioned this film is popular with sailors of of a sort. I guess. Yeah. I guess. I can see that. Can we move yeah. on? Oh my god! <laughs> oh, so much boy. new TV. Yeah, let's move into TV of 1992, September 16th through the 22nd. I'm going to just mention this off the top because I found this right before we started recording. I just can't say enough great things about Kids in the Hall, especially their new show on Amazon. It is exactly the same, but more. Mm -hmm. It feels like a comedy nobody else has done. And this might be the heyday of the kids. It's very confusing. It's Kids in the Hall is an existing show on the what cbc the canadian broadcasting c word i don't know what that is corporation corporation it's also on hbo it is also right now in reruns on comedy central cbs now has optioned kids in the hall to air right now reruns of that show up against snl on saturdays both of shows are produced by lauren michaels i don't think it's an experiment that works out it's obviously not an experiment that works out there was not I don't believe there was new programming on CBS, but uh, if you haven't seen the new Amazon show, you should, if you're a Kids in the Hall fan. And there's a great two-part documentary called Comedy Punks, and it told me a lot of, I've read books about Kids in the Hall. It told me shit I had never heard before. And part of that was, it is canceled at some point by all the major networks before becoming a hit on HBO. Maybe they just told it out of order, but this week... Kids in the Hall is airing against SNL in a special, and I think we'll do so in a, few, a couple more weeks. Just an awesome Kids in the Hall footnote and for me to recommend watch that Amazon series because well, I really want another one. It's because going up against SNL is a losing proposition. Yes. They've already wrapped in the late night market. If you are up late on Saturday night, they've got you. And yes. everyone else is just like, well, let's throw reruns. However, you what have to we- yeah. like, however, the fun thing to mention here, just coming off of singles, Kids in the Hall is pretty evocative of the encroaching Gen X wave. It's way more youth right now than Saturday Night Live is, making fun mm. of presidents and Donald Trump. This is what I'm pretty sure they're seeing in the ratings. This is what the young audience SNL usually caters to actually wants to watch. I don't know how Lorne Michaels agreed this to it, because is... why would you fucking put your show on against your other show? This is actually a very good segue to talk about a sketch show yes. debuting on Fox. Fox goes in for two different sketch shows this season. It, Oh, my God. One this week, one debuting next week, which are both like harbingers of the alt comedy to come. Yes, because I think the great thing about Fox is it, it's in kind of an HBO kind of a, it's an HBO kind of area. We might not beat the three big networks in the ratings, but if we can get a ton of people talking about us and be part of the youth zeitgeist, let's do that. And then living color becomes that even though it's up against Seinfeld in its heyday, most of the time, it's still well, holding its own. In the words of the critic, mm-hmm. Fox, we're coming in third is a triumph. <laughs> <laughs> booty, booty, booty. But like, uh, yeah, yeah. It tries an irreverent comedy show. And just looking at it's from David Merkin, the creator of Get a Life and Julie Brown, who are dating at the time. Ooh, uh, oh. Julie Brown. What would we know Julie Brown from? Earth Girls Down, Are Easy. Earth Girls Down, Are Julie Easy. Brown. No, not that's not the same no. one. That's a different no? Julie Brown. That's the that's yeah. Different Julie Brown. It's a different well, there Julie are two Brown. Julie Browns. There's Julie Brown, and then there's Downtown Julie Brown. Comes this okay. irreverent sketch comedy that I watched almost every episode of and enjoyed basically as much as in Living Color. I think it's it's just not as a refer- irreverent. I think because it was 
the black cast and the things that were in Living Color was talking about. I remember there was like more than one designing women parodies on the edge, which was, and they were mean. <laughs> Don't I'm, let me, they were well, edgy. They're also mean to Fox shows, which I yes. will always give Fox credit for. They make fun of themselves more than any other network. Yes. As you can see in this clip. The edge. We're talking about the edge. And here's a little clip. Oh, is it their 90210 parody? You wanted to take me to an underground club, drink, do drugs, and have sex without a condom. That's really bad. Going to clubs that cater to underage teenagers, drinking, doing drugs, and having sex without condoms is very, very dangerous and not at all cool. <laughs> I know. That's why I didn't do it. And I never will. <laughs> And then for the rest of the sketch, that's that's all she does. She bites um, into a giant phallic carrot. Uh, and it's but, also that's you, you can't recognize her voice. That is one of the cast members, Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Everybody except maybe me would lose the trivia contest. Like what sketch comedy cast includes Wayne Knight, Jennifer Aniston, Tom Kinney of SpongeBob and Mr. Show fame, his wife, Jill Talley of Mr. Show fame. Who else is on? Uh, Rick Overton. Uh, Paul... Fig, oh, Paul yeah. Fig is, is is the director is a cast member as, as Ferris Bueller's best friend Alan Ruck uh, or of you Secession <laughs> fans. It's it's a crazy cast and it was I did like it, but I can see what kind of why it went away. It just seemed to deal with like tamer subject matter in an edgier way. But in Living yeah. Color, nothing was going to top in Living Color at this, at this point. Well, yeah, I mean, because it was a perspective that we didn't have anywhere else where this yeah. is just kind of, yeah, it's like Edgar SNL, you know, it's not live. Like they do tend to kill the cast in, in different bits. Yes. And yeah. it, it seems um, like what the Dana Carvey mean, show got canceled for. Occasionally the edge is getting away with on Fox. Yeah. And they share a writer, oh, Charlie Kaufman. Right, right. Yeah. I, I don't know. Nowhere in the edge can I think of an episode that was equivalent to uh, Bill Clinton having six nipples. They, and you can find the clip of them decapitating the entire cast in the opening. It's 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 something that you wouldn't want airing in front of a new Muppet show. But, but yeah, and they're making fun of very recent things. Yes. But I mean, I watched a whole bunch of clips and a lot of, you know, some of the jokes are cheap. Like they have a Wilson Phillips bit and it captures wilson phillips very well but it really is just all big fat jokes yes they make like, uh oh, delta burke is getting so fat she's now godzilla i believe I yeah. remember being one of them. Uh, yeah see i thought the thing that would attract you to the show was the uh the bumpers by bill plimpton no no it was it was like i i i, I, I don't think you're an animation nerd yeah i don't think there was an episode of the show i missed and like kind of like cool animators sometimes your only shot is getting in, involved in a sketch comedy show or in front of the simpsons so yeah i i i really like this show and wasn't sure why it went away but you know ev mm -hmm. almost everybody involved goes on to bigger things so it's hard to be and i also thought it was some of their smaller cast members i swear were on that educational show square one that we used to watch in school the math-based sketch comedy show on pbs anyway we gotta we gotta move on because there's so much to talk about bob debuts bob i was the world's biggest comic book geek in 1992 I, that was my world i have no idea that what was, this is segueing to oh boy let's see that's all what i was into bob stars bob newhart as a comic book writer what who created a comic book in the 1950s it lasted 12 issues he spent the next 30 years working at a greeting card company and then his comic got revived parody of image comics with a darker edgier and they try to get him on board and then they show him a comic panel of his superhero mag dog eating 
his boy wonder sidekick. <laughs> and then we get this clip. Bob, I know what you're feeling, but Buddy must be eliminated so that the purity of Mad Dog's quest can prevail without the distraction of his homoerotic desires. Wow. I'm going to push you out a window. <laughs> Everybody knows Mad Dog and Buddy are in love. <laughs> if, if, if I in love, you mean uh, two people who... Who, who work together, who, who who fight together, bathe together. What? <laughs> so uh, this, is, this is very... Wow. Yeah, but it was so exciting to me that there was a sitcom making fun of comics, and I thought comics had arrived. We were finally going to be this mm. awesome medium that was going to be part of mainstream, but this was the peak because one season later... They ditch the whole comic angle on Bob, and he's back to working at a greeting card company because it's like that <laughs> brief window where comics were cool and million-dollar issues. The bubble burst, and it's just like, no, now Bob Newhart's just going to be a greeting card guy. Yeah, they're, they're, refer they're very clearly referencing Batman and Robin mm -hmm. in that clip, but that is, it's, that's basically the story of Swamp Thing, like mm -hmm. uh I think we talked about on the on recent podcast. Yeah, twelve issues turns into a movie and then gets resurrected, launching the career of Alan Moore. And the character stays around forever. I'm sorry, but Jr., are you saying that you're waiting for sixty-something-year-old Bob Newhart to bring legitimacy <laughs> to the pop cultural love of comic books? Was, I was fourteen. Was was he <laughs> fourteen? Was he any younger at this point than Stan Lee, who was the closest thing we had as an actual ambassador to comics out there in pop culture? Why not? And it is, but we didn't even say that it's Bob Newhart's. I think uh, I have this as his ninety-first sitcom. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Bob. This, yeah, probably his least successful sitcom of all time. Yes. Yeah, he, he had a couple tries after Newhart. His Newhart was still with us. Shockingly, like all of his contemporaries are gone. Man, he's and, like ninety-three. Yeah. This is it. He'll be dead by the time this airs. I guarantee. Oh, it. damn it, no. Diana! It's all your fault. This is it. No, it knocked on wood. So, which which is your favorite of his? Just give it to Newhart. I've never seen any of them. <laughs> You've never oh, no. seen you are missing no. out, motherfucker. No, I've seen. I, I've got a new stand-up. Bob Newhart's a fucking genius. But oh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I, yeah. I've never seen any of the show. I think Bob Newhart show just just ekes it out. I'm probably more familiar with Newhart because that's what I was actually watching. Like as a kid, it was Same. on, and Bob Newhart I picked up on on TV Land and was like, "Fuck, this is amazing." Okay, okay. Let's keep going through all these new show debuts. Hmm. Bob New uh, Bob would go on for two seasons. Camp Wilder, I remember watching just because it was another one of those confusing, hey, these parents sure have a lot of kids shows. And it's not to be confused with the Gene Wilder sitcom, Something Wilder, which was also terrible, but I watched a lot of Camp Wilder debuts. 28-year-old nurse raises the family after her parents' death, so she's not really their mom right. she's the cool older sister but now she's the mom and she kind of like is very low-key chill with everything and then she has to kind of learn how to be a mom put her foot down way over on the other end of the demographic we have <laughs> the golden palace debuting and that is this is this the golden girls that comes from b arthur not wanting to be on golden girls anymore correct yeah yes. this is a different network so it is oh, legally distinct from the golden girls by calling it golden palace and you know as is natural when you're approaching your last years the three golden girls decide they're gonna buy a hotel because <laughs> mm -hmm. you know running a hotel easy super easy hey, old mean, ladies you know what they love stairs 
Yeah, mm. love them. Love them. Yep. <laughs> Customers coming in all hours of the night doing wacky schmackety stuff. Don Cheadle plays their manager. But uh, yeah, this is largely forgotten over the Golden Girls. It's not streamed along with the Golden Girls, yeah. which would seem a good fit. Like, yeah, no one seems be to like, miss all it. right, no one cares about this. It was yeah. uh, one season and done. B. Arthur appeared in one episode. And we also have oh, a show. Uh, there was also one episode that kind of made internet waves when Blanche starts putting the Confederate flag all over her hotel to uh, celebrate. And then it's pointed out to her, hey, that's super racist. And she's Don like, Cheadle does mm. not enjoy this. Yeah. Mm. And uh, she goes, no, it's not. And then she learns that it is and changes her ways, which is something people can do. Yay. And then we have a show I did watch. And I had to like, did I watch any of this? Because I don't remember almost anything about hanging with Mr. Cooper other than I, Mark Curry, I think, was a gifted comedic actor and a fun stand up. And then I just n never saw him again. He hosted a Comedy Central game show and I never, ever saw Mark Curry again on anything. But hanging with Mr. Cooper debuts this week, goes on to uh, five seasons of glory. I forget exactly how that works. It's from the Full House team and it's on TGF. It's not. It is. It's on again. It's not. It moves to a new night. It moves. I may have moved to a new network. It's so confusing. I, I'm not knowledgeable enough to say this is the first, but I think it was one of the more popular versions of a African-American sitcom where the star is not a rich doctor married to a lawyer, but is also not in grinding poverty either. Yeah. Mr. Cooper is just your average middle class person. And I can't think of a whole lot of black comedies where that's it's, the case it's a much more positive version of eastbound and down as in a pro athlete who goes to teach varsity basketball that's what it is that's where the hanging comes <laughs> from i also have this week here and now debuts don't know a thing this is malcolm jamal warner trying to create a post cosby show show oh. he basically plays theo with the serial number shoved off mm -hmm. he uh, <laughs> is a psychology major which also theo was and he goes to work with inner city youths which theo was doing and doesn't really go anywhere but it definitely seems to be an attempt to uh capture that cosby magic a uh, <laughs> a brand that will never be tarnished <laughs> love and war also debuts this week oh, uh, i remember this one it's uh, it was from Diane English who created Murphy Brown, and it was about ah. a uh, like a scrappy newspaper columnist and like a fancy lady and the sparring. And then I think it was Susan Day for like the first season, and then she mm -hmm. got in a fight and left, and they replaced her with Annie Potts, which is uh, I'm sorry, a major upgrade. <laughs> uh, they also had uh, Breaking the Fourth Wall during the first season where they uh, talk about the emotional crisis of the episode and then that was ditched in the second season. Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David make a appearance on this as a thank you for the creators allowing Kramer to be Murphy Brown's secretary. Ah. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I can remember from this entire series, which I had to have watched, you know, call it, 50 60 episodes of is one episode where the male star is using a handicapped bathroom and someone who is handicapped I comes in think i remember that it's all it about like familiar. he likes to spend time in the handicap stall and spread out his newspaper sections yep. and enjoy yes. himself why oh do we remember that one thing Can <laughs> I, you i don't know thing from i this remember that TV too show? i thought that was a george costanza thing okay 
Uh, Wait, we became one. I do, I do remember. Yeah, my mom would have been watching Murphy Brown, so there's a chance I could have caught that. Well, listeners, if you remember (laughs) the newspapers in the handicapped bathroom, be sure to let us know. Oh my god. Also this week the it's Murphy so Brown weird. episode You Say Potato, I Say Potato Part One. This is uh, in reference to Dan Quayle talking the fictional Murphy Brown character in the Murphy Brown universe. She's not a fictional character, she's a real character. And at the end of the episode they say, Don't attack us. And <laughs> okay. it's a bit of a yeah. cheesy, schmaltzy thing that is gonna be made fun of on Saturday Night Live next week. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, he made that the comments about Murphy Brown, I think while they were on summer hiatus. Yeah. So it was yeah, like, exactly. and she was always very, very political and very, very topical. And yes. so everyone was just sort of waiting like, oh boy, she's got to make fun of the vice president. Yes. But it ends in the lamest way. It ends with someone anonymously dumped a bunch of potatoes on the White House lawn. Who could have done that? Mm. What eating humor, Murphy Brown. It's kind of funny. Mm. Uh, another show I know nothing about other than that girl from uh, Dumb and Dumber was on it. Picket Fences debuts. The Picket Fences was so fucking good. Was it? Yeah. I, we're right around where David E. Kelly starts just taking over all of television. Mm. You know, ahead of the Ally McBeals and the practices and stuff. Practices. I'm sure it got greenlit because uh, Northern Exposure was doing pretty well. Right. It is a small town mostly comedy dramedy mm-hmm. with uh you know with tom scarrett is like the sheriff his wife's kathy baker lauren holly and cousins mandalore are cops there's a local judge is ray walston that's mr hand from fast times just brought him up five-ish finkel the world's jewiest man and remember i'm allowed to say this we just talked about this no he used to do yiddish theater that's how fucking old that dude was he was like the wacky lawyer in town and so it was like a mix it's like if Law and Order were a comedy. Because, yeah, that's like, a great way to describe it. Yeah, because there there would be like police stuff and like courthouse stuff, but also unrelated things. But yeah, a lot of times things would just end up there. I think Don Cheadle was recurring on there after Golden Palace. I didn't realize that. Well, they were really unusual. They tried to tackle every single hot button issue they could. Um, from the Wikipedia, I'm just going to start naming them. Abortion, homophobia, and racism, belief in God, medical ethics, polygamy, polyamory, adolescent sexuality, date rape, masturbation, the Holocaust, Jesus. shoe fetishism, spontaneous human <laughs> combustion, and constitutional rights. And that was a hell of an episode. I mean, they really... <laughs> But if you've spent time on the internet, you probably know their most famous line as follows. I don't, so this is going to be new for me. I'm here. Here for you. Me? Chocolate cake, Game Boy, and me. So that's a dream sequence. What a bizarre... With Lauren Holly in, like, brawn panties, confronting a little kid with... (laughs) With a not cellophane sealed, but a box inbox Game Boy and a chocolate cake. Halfway there, red velvet, and I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd have to do it. I don't care if I haven't gone through puberty yet at all. Awkward. I've never dude, seen that. I, dude, this show is so much fun. I have to look up right now if it is streaming. I have a feeling it might not be because of music rights. Yeah, it seems like so. Um, Ooh, yeah. This is kind of the, the heyday of that being an issue, but it was just so silly. Uh, looks like Hulu has it. Oh, nice. nice. It happens on occasion. No, you should totally check it out. Just pick 
random episodes or like look up what are the 20 best and go for that because yeah it's it, it is a weird hard to describe show that they don't make that kind of show anymore because they barely did in the first place yes uh, speaking yeah. of picket picket fences super weird <laughs> speaking of shows they don't make anymore the hilarious debut of renegade <laughs> starring lorenzo <laughs> lamas this is the opening narration and it tells you everything about he was a cop and good at his job but he committed the ultimate sin and testified against other cops gone bad cops that tried to kill him but got the woman he loved instead framed for murder was the badland an outlaw hunting outlaws a bounty hunter a renegade <laughs> it's it's we walker texas ranger else. with a mullet it i have gag gifted so many people with the complete series of renegade because you can get that dvd for like two and a half dollars i think it was syndicated but i really associate this with the usa network for some reason mm-hmm. uh, it, it was a usa network staple 110 episodes 100. that magic syndication number Five, but five seasons of twenty-two hour-long episodes. I think in, in times it's way funnier than Walker Texas Ranger. Just doesn't have a lot of clips you can isolate and remove the context from. But it is a lot of roundhouse <laughs> kicking and mullets. It is yep. ridiculous, and Lorenzo Lamas sucks, and uh, it's fun to make fun of him. Beekman's World. I didn't. I am vaguely aware of that. I think it was competing with my for my time on a different network. What is? Is that a science show? Yeah. So this is often talked about in regards to bill nye they have a similar brand they're trying to teach kids science this went with the more gross out juvenile way it tackled questions like how is not formed what is vomit cool. what causes foot order and why do we fart there's a giant rat that is uh beekman's lab assistant the big difference between this and bill nye is that this was more mr wizardry it always started out with a disclaimer, be sure to get your parents' help as you do the following experiment, and then it tells you how to do science experiments at home. Oh, <laughs> uh, don't Please tell me everything about the Amazing Live Sea Monkeys debut this week. This is the worst thing, worst TV show I've watched for 30 2010. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Tell me more. Why tell me more. would you watch any? Hey, it's done by Howie Mandel. Oh. He, he got the idea after his daughter wanted to get some brine shrimp pets, which are all sea monkeys are, they're brine shrimp. Yes. And he thought this could be bigger than Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Uh... He got it picked up by CBS, and the characters have such fascinating personality traits as Aquarius cannot keep a secret, Bill is afraid of imperial-style beards, it's... and Dave grows excited at the sound of polka musics. How can you not love those characters? It's really hard to look at, by the way. It's, they are nightmare fuel. They are just, like, god-awful. Yeah, worse than the Garbage Pail Kids movie. Yeah. I'd never heard of this until just this moment. I, I watched it when I was young, and I found it unbearable at 14. Holy Lord. Oh, my God. Hey, tying this all together, if you want to know about fun anti-Semitism, look up the guy who first marketed Sea Monkeys. Oh, God, yes. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> that needs to be a miniseries. Uh, His life is fucking insane. Oh, okay. Well, that aside, can I move on to a show I really did like? I liked okay. playing certain sports, like basketball in a driveway or occasionally soccer because it's constantly moving. I didn't hate sports. I hated spectator sports and maybe baseball. 
and and <laughs> football just takes a long time to happen. Nickelodeon game shows were all, the the Double Dare created the physical challenge, and it was high time Nickelodeon came up with a show that was all physical challenges. And it was like the only sport I think I wanted to play was debuting this week on Nickelodeon. It's Nickelodeon Guts. Do, do, do you have it? <gasps> do, 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 do you have it? Guts. Yes, Nickelodeon Guts, just a wonderful little quasi-Olympic sports show hosted by Mike O'Malley, who's now just... <laughs> I wanted to be on every goddamn children's game show. Me I mean, too. I was a greedy kid like any other kid, so I wanted the prizes, but far, far more than that, I just wanted to do it. I, I, I wanted to do a hidden temple run or yeah. run up the crag. In One this of the aggro crag. I, every, every couple of months, I get drunk and look for the aggro crag on eBay. Like, somebody's got to be selling their piece of the rock. I want it. But, <laughs> but it's just like, I, I think, Jerry, you have kids, and like even where I live, like there's a lot, like, what do you call them? Air parks, trampoline. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we go to air parks a couple times a year. It's not a regular thing, but it's not shocking but it, when we it go. It looks like kids around the world are finally getting access to the fun of Nickelodeon Guts, bungee basketball, like uh, all these trampoline things. Probably not a lot of self-contained like ki- kayaking or anything like that, but just kid-friendly bite-sized chunks of sports. Yeah. I really like I'm, Nickelodeon Guts. I'm intensely jealous. I wish I had a younger man's spine because I've tried to keep <laughs> up with my kids at various bouncy castles out about seven years ago. I, I, like, I yeah. realized at the wedding I was recently at, I met the cousin. I did that with six years ago in 15 minutes. I can be on a trampoline for 15 minutes before I am uh, uh, shitting my spine out. Like I can't, I cannot, <laughs> cannot do it. But Nickelodeon Guts and resurrected several times, rebranded, Global Guts, all that shit. Nickelodeon Guts, I think probably one of their, uh, other than Double Dare, probably one of their most famous game shows. And then, and then yeah. something as a massive cartoon nerd, I wish I had seen, but I didn't. Listen to last week's episode for me to talk about the weirdness of Saturday morning cartoons and where the rights go. CBS airs this sh- bizarre short-lived Disney series that aired on CBS for only 12 episodes. This is where bonkers in-universe cartoons air you know what? i don't know if bonkers yeah. is on the air yet but he becomes a cop after he fails as a roger rabbit cartoon star these are those cartoons that bonkers stars in before coming a cop the it's f- far more convoluted it's a ridiculous uh, origin for bonkers <laughs> than bonkers need. I mean, there's already a theatrical short so it's very confusing marsupilami i believe the weird instance of disney taking a french comic and just kind of adapting it into a cartoon that ends up being spun off in its own thing as does Schnookum and meat. But it has all these ensemble Disney players with their real voices. Goofy will come on the show and it's this wonderful period. If you've listened to me for a long time, I love the Disney afternoon. It treats those Disney afternoon characters as they are just as important as like Scrooge McDuck and uh, Ludwig von Drake, uh, the Disney, uh, the classic Disney people. And here's this really weird clip. There's tons of these on the internet with their official voices. Don Carnage from Tailspin fighting Captain Hook from Peter Pan. Looking all over for that trip. Well, a semi-worthy opponent. Be careful attention, boys and girls. Ahoy, Captain Hook! Since when do air pirates say ahoy, Captain Carnage? It's so bizarre to think of Captain Hook knowing, <laughs> having watched Tailspin. But <laughs> here we are with raw tunage. The most, I think, all-star assemblage you get of cartoons outside of, uh, Disney cartoons outside of Kingdom Hearts or something. 
Anyway, moving on to games of 1992. We got RoboCop 3 on Super Nintendo. RoboCop 3. I don't know that I played that one. And then we got Dino City. How could that fail? Dino City. We also got PTO. <laughs> Pacific yeah, Theater. This, this is another rare strategy game uh, for the Super Nintendo oh, where boy. you play both the Japan and the U.S. side in the Pacific War. And it's far more complex than any non-mouse Super game Nintendo should be. <laughs> game should be honestly you need a mouse and a keyboard for this level yeah. of complexity real quick on robocop 3 though please robocop 3 isn't out yet y'all it's not going to be no. out for a year and a couple of months that's pretty nuts oh it... gosh is that long i knew yeah. we have not talked about the movie robocop 3 but... no I, I had to google that it and i googled it i was long. like it's not out yet when's it going to be out a year and three months Woof. What the heck? This is just going off the top of my head. RoboCop 3 went through a lot of turmoil in production, mm -hmm. but it was also a bizarre instance of a, of a, of a rated R property being very popular with kids' merchandise. And part of that was busting down RoboCop 3 from whatever Frank Miller wrote, which you can uh, into a PG movie for kids, probably because they had games like this in the pipeline. And you can't stop the signal. JR, you can't stop yeah. the signal. Now, you can't stop the marketing campaign. But the makers of RoboCop 3 were not given almost any information about RoboCop 3, and they had to do a lot of guesswork. Yeah. And somebody found out that RoboCop 3 was going to ride a gyrocycle, <laughs> a super powerful motorcycle, only to find out later that it was a jetpack. Yes, you could have a jetpack. <laughs> That's the kind of things that change in production. Holy boy. Uh, and then one of the weirdest feet, like it's just Nintendo, no, Nintendo didn't make this, but it was marketed very he heavily. Faceball 2000, a very weird kid-friendly take on kind of a first-person shooter the first-person shooter craze with the technology the super nintendo this also came out on game boy too but i don't remember anything about it other than you were wandering 3d mazes with faces <laughs> in them it looks truly bizarre it was not a franchise that took off and is i think super fondly remembered but you shoot faces how about that it was on every comic book like yes I've given yes my son my old comic books that i've kept around and i'm constantly seeing faceball 2000 ads on my carpet it had game link functionality so you could connect your game boys and play multiplayer faceball and then lastly only in japan but uh, dragon quest 5 hand of the heavenly bride comes to super nintendo super famicom in japan super famicom and it won't, won't yeah. come to the u.s until 2009 what yeah because yeah. uh japan only i mean that well, was a thing in, in 1992 started... dragon warrior dragon quest had really struggled in the u.s market nintendo had taken up the publishing duties it even gave away the series free with a sub subscription in nintendo power it didn't make fans and it took a really long time for dragon quest to, to get its grasp on western audiences but hmm. now you got it and this version this dragon quest 5 got a movie out of it wow. in 2019 wow <laughs> This I don't understand. I don't understand the huge gaps between fairly obscure video games and modern releases. Like Castlevania 3 is the basis for the Netflix Castlevania TV show. And that's another like 30 year gap. And then you've got Dragon Quest 5. I mean, I don't know the series enough to know why did you go with that one to make a movie out of in 2019? It's difficult to say, mm -hmm. but like... Japan probably knows the difference. They, they change the day games are released because of Dragon Quest. You'll still get your Nintendo games on a Friday. 
because kids were skipping school to get Dragon Quest, I think around this period. Ton of music, too. Look at this shit. So much music. September, I told you. Yeah. Everything dumps towards the end of September. Look at everything. Music of September 16th to the 22nd, 1992. End of the Road by Boys to Men is still number one. We also have new releases, including Broken by Nine Inch Nails. Here Comes Trouble by Bad Company. On Our Worst Behavior by Immature. Stunts, Blunts, and Hip Hop by Diamond D. Three Sides to Every Story by Extreme. What? The Album by Redman. <laughs> ABBA. ABBA Gold. One of the best-selling albums of all time. Uh, I usually don't put in greatest hits or compilations, but I swear to God, I don't know anyone if you own an ABBA album, you own ABBA Gold, not individual LPs. Probably, yeah. I'm Not Your Girl by Sinead O'Connor. The self-titled debut of Blind Melon and Yes, Please by Happy Mondays, uh, the making of which is the topic of one of the movies in the next segment. <laughs> wow. It's amazing how this is working out for us. I love it. Yes, we are absolutely going to be talking about the Happy Mondays and their their fun trip to, uh, I think it's Barbados, because they don't have heroin there, but they do have crack. <laughs> yeah! I would love to go out with something on the single soundtrack. My vote is with Dyslexic Heart, because I'm a big Replacements fan, but, you know, whatever you guys want. I think, yeah, it was either Touch Me, I'm Dick, or Dyslexic Heart, so uh, I, I'm good with Dyslexic Heart. Dyslexic. Good. Please, people, don't move. We have a lot to talk about in the next segment, including one of my favorite television shows of all time, so don't go anywhere. Slip me a napkin, and now that's a start. Is this your name or a doctor's eye chart? I'm trying to comprehend you, but I got a dyslexic heart. I ain't dying to offend I've got a dyslexic heart. See, they can trigger me, but they'll never figure me out. Look at me now. I bet you're probably sick of me now. Ain't you, mama? I'ma make you look so ridiculous now. I'm sorry, mama. I never meant to hurt you. I never meant to make you cry. But tonight, I'm cleaning out my closet. Coming into 2002, September 16th to the 22nd, with Clean Out My Closet by Eminem. What's the deal with this? It's been on the charts forever. It's uh, been just sitting there in the top 10 for months. But it finally reaches where number one is. Oh, no, it's no, not even it's there. Not. not even nope. there. But it's like, it's been there so long. I gotta do it. Yeah, it's a super famous song. And of course, Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland. It's still number one, but we also have new music releases for the week of September 16th through the 22nd of 2002, including Believe by Disturbed, Internet Dating Super Studs, <laughs> Light Magic by Lady Tron, Oceanic by Isis, Quizaz, Enrique Iglesias, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, Stanley Climb Fall by Lifehouse, Self-Title Debut of Theory of a Dead Man, 100 Days Off by Underworld, Crave Man by Ted Nugent, and The Creek Drank the Cradle by Iron and Wine. Oh, excuse me. Internet Dating Super Studs is by The Vandals. By The Vandals. The Vandals. How could I forget The Vandals? X played those all the time. Um, Welcome to 2002, everyone. Got a ton of fun things to talk about. Yeah. A little bit of news to tell you where we are 20 years ago. Farm Aid 15 is held in... Burgettstown, Pennsylvania? Diana, you been to Burgettstown? Burgettstown? No, that is the far west, I think far southwest corner. Mm-hmm. That's that's bumfuck Pennsylvania. You're in Ohio now. That's not even Pennsylvania. And it is a who-who's, who's who of white performers. Willie Nelson, uh, John Mellencamp, Neil Young, Dave Matthews, Keith Urban, Leanne Womack, Kid Rock, Gillian Welch, uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and the Drive-By Truckers. I think I dreamt last night Willie Nelson died. That didn't happen? Don't say that. I, Knock on wood. I know, but I, I just, I remember, like, I hate it when I dream, like, a news article. Ugh. 
What a boring <laughs> waste of my brain. <laughs> anyway, moving on to movies of 2002. Barbershop, which we recommended last week, is still number one at the box office. But we have a, like a bunch of new movies to talk about, including some worthy recommends at the top fuck yes yeah this, this i had never seen this first movie a bunch of people oh you hadn't when i said when i was telling people online about this week like man we've got so much coming up and a bunch of people immediately jumped on no this is the one you need to talk about this is this is my kind of introduction to steve coogan i think he mm. played other parts but andy circus uh lenny james shirley henderson sean harris danny cunningham patty Considine and Steve Coogan in 24-Hour Party People. Yeah, I had heard that this movie was good for so long, and Mm -hmm. I finally watched it, and it exceeded the hype. This movie was so much, so much fun. Yeah. Because it's about the Manchester music scene, really. This one guy in the Manchester music scene going through, I mean, starting in the late 70s into the 80s. Yeah, and uh, with a heavy focus on Joy Division and New Order. And, 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 but it's, Awesome that he's sort of Robert Evans Ferris Buellering the movie to you. He's <laughs> exactly. talking directly to camera about what he's seeing and doing. It's yeah. told very interestingly, and it's I was I, I knew of the bands, but it's just like I, I like I'd never like oh this this is an amazing movie about a time and a place and got me into some of these bands a little bit uh, as a result yeah. twenty years ago. Really, it just like it's it's so funny because it's like it's a love letter to manchester they mm-hmm. say that a couple of times but it's like we barely ever get to see manchester mm-hmm. <laughs> but also yeah these bands coming out of like kind of the punk post-punk into new wave yeah joy division the, the uh, romantics happy- as i heard the venture brothers call them <laughs> right yeah that that general scene which was a lot bigger in the uk than it was here but definitely there's a whole bunch of really good music that that some of which you probably recognize and i I mean it's like because it is a rags to riches story in the in a like a boogie nights kind of way Mm -hmm. which is like you know the fall is coming these idiots are idiots and they're going to blow all their money and they're going to fuck up and they're going to do too many drugs and they're going to trust the wrong people and everything's going to go to shit and the whole time Steve Coogan is, yeah, just narrating to camera like, no, see, this movie isn't really about me. It's about this scene. But then the camera's just following him. Mm-hmm. And the fourth wall breaking gets really creative at the point where he just stops and is like, let me point out all the real people who are making cameos in this movie. There's that guy and there's that guy. And that guy, he says that he didn't have sex with my wife, but I don't believe him. And then there's that guy. This guy, his scene was cut, but maybe it'll be on the DVD. <laughs> what the fuck is this movie doing yeah i i think this is a pretty excellent film and I've, I've only watched it a couple of times but like it wasn't something i had any pre much pre-existing knowledge about at all i did not yeah i don't think i knew any the joy division new order connection i just didn't know i knew of them as separate bands that i don't know i found it very captivating and a really interesting compelling way to capture this moment in time rather yeah. than by focusing on a single band yeah it, that it's it's about the larger scene and uh, for some people it doesn't end very well if you know well two things about joy division number one you know where their name comes from and number two you know what happens to their lead singer who's all of like 23 and i didn't realize it's like oh wait that guy sean harris is like the creepy guy in the mission impossible movies now and it's like something happened to his voice along the way or he's an amazing actor who can just do that particular voice. He's he's a, hey, it's that guy now. And it was so weird to see him in like, oh, look, you're being kind of normal and not being spooky. Ooh. But yeah, it's a music scene I, I know very little about. And yeah. it ends up being so entertaining. It's just, I would love to see more movies like this of like documentary style movies. 
Speaking yeah, of another theme for this week, we have speaking of movies I'd like to see more like, we've gone off on the end of the erotic thriller, and uh, uh, mm. what do you call it? Uh, you must remember this is doing a much larger retrospective on sort of that notion, but like I, I, I was dating a girl who like this is the only movie she likes. <laughs> she likes. <laughs> oh, um, okay. So that's that's a little spooky, but it's also like, yeah. where are our dark sex comedies? Yeah. And. <laughs> This is one of the few I can think of, Leslie Ann Warren, Jeremy Davies, and, of course, Maggie Gyllenhaal and James Spader in Secretary. God damn, this movie. I did not know what I was getting into. Yeah. <laughs> this is one that was, I went in sort of cold. I knew it was about a weird relationship between a secretary and her boss. And first off, it starts out Maggie Gyllenhaal has a history, of, or her character has a history of uh, self-harm. She's a cutter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, she is 100% replacing self-harm with an unhealthy bdsm relationship yeah masochism that is what this story is about Mm -hmm. yeah but i i just have to say as someone who was a former cutter Mm -hmm. they got that element very right in that you use improvised things like she has like a little ballerina figurine that she sharpens the toe and then cuts herself with it Mm. and it's like that sort of thing and, and that she cuts when she can't express an emotion, mm. she gets mad at her mom and she burns herself and, and that sort of thing, as opposed to like, y- yes, because you get an endorphin rush and you're externalizing your internal pain. That's why people cut. If you are a cutter or self-harmer, please tell someone about it. Get help mm. because it's it just gets worse. It just gets worse from there. Um, I'm lucky that I, I stopped it relatively quickly, but I still have some scars. And uh, anyway, she starts working for... <laughs> James Spader, who is a sadist, Mm -hmm. but he's a self-hating sadist. Like, he really hates that these are his impulses. And he's doing so much to, again, externalize this internal turmoil. And then they start working together in... She kind of comes alive, though. Like, Mm -hmm. it is an unhealthy relationship, but also it's a lot less unhealthy than she was. Mm -hmm. Like, the opening where she is trussed up with... And she's just gliding around the office calm as can be putting the little papers away and everything has to be just so and then every now and then chooses to make something not quite right mm-hmm. so that james bader will punish her mm-hmm. but it's like it's her choice to do that right it's so interesting but so to have a healthy bdsm relationship you really need to have a lot of conversations you need to have a lot of True. the boring discussions that don't make sexy sex movie discussions yes. you know yeah. you need to figure out what are each other's boundaries neither of these two individuals is respecting the other person's boundaries subs mm. have boundaries doms have boundaries right. she is not respecting his boundaries there are things that he obviously does not want to give her at various parts of the movie and she is trying to get him to give her and they didn't have a conversation because that's not sexy, sexy movie time. It's yeah. it's it's not gonna get the audience what it wants. But that is the more well, it, healthy thing to it, do. It, but it can movies be, don't have to be about healthy people. That's that's yeah. that's like my defense <laughs> of this movie because I can't speak to how healthy it is or isn't. But it is a movie about this, and there has to be conflict. And the conflict yeah. comes about through the what do you call it sexual discourse or, or whatever it's not necessarily healthy but it's damn compelling and i don't know that it's any more or less harmful than like a 50 shades of gray or anything like that but. i would say this from what i understand i still haven't seen all of 50 shades of gray mm-hmm. they have some actual talking ahead of things mm-hmm. but they do, do you, but 
they don't have say aftercare i don't know about safe words if there's there is a lot of talking yeah. about it that is left out of this movie but i feel like this depiction might be better in the power dynamic the idea is like she is so much stronger a person than him mm. and that is underlined because there's a point where the movie turns and it and it seems kind of it's an odd turn but you realize no she's demonstrating she is so much stronger than he is a weak person that might be why he likes hurting people mm. do you know uh james character's name in this film mm-hmm. mr e. gray edward gray mr gray his name is mr gray which is the name in 50 shades, 50 shades. yeah I just I found this movie really interesting because it's like I guess it's it it is erotic, but I can't say like it isn't not like it turned me on really because that's just not my scene. Me I neither. just found it psychologically really interesting. Me neither, but, but I then just, if I'm, this I'm, is your scene, maybe it will turn you on, or maybe yeah, you'll see the problems. I, I, I have can find a lot of people who love this film. Oh yeah, and mm. uh, Chris, I'm not gonna say that if it, this is the only film <laughs> someone watches, it's the red flag. Yeah. But it is a red flag. It's, it's, it's a red flag. Not, dude, not only that, it's this is long gone, so we can talk about it. Mm. If you don't like movies, we shouldn't be <laughs> If you only like <laughs> one movie, like, I'm sorry, we have no future together. It doesn't matter even what the movie is. But, th but this is just like a, a super unique movie. I expected the more mature we got about talking about things, the more we would get. And I have found the opposite. There is yep. nothing quite like Secretary out there. And, nope, um, we just kind of stopped talking. Yeah. And, and yeah, secretary, I feel like it is sort of like watch it with a friend or watch it with a partner because there's stuff to talk about yeah. afterwards. And maybe maybe that thing is like, hey, you want to you want to try that out? Or I guarantee the person you're dating feels some way about Robert California and would, <laughs> would love to see some of this movie. I freaking loved secretary. It and, was just yeah, let's let's talk about sex, baby. Yeah. Or let's talk about boring remake. Mm -hmm. Let's. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like this is one of the most misguided things in cinematically of maybe the year. Michael Sheen, Chris Marshall, Rupert Pen Penry Jones, uh, Kate Hudson. Oh, I mispronounce this guy's name every time you say it. I Jimon Hansu. Jimon Hansu, Wes Bentley, and Heath Ledger, The Four Feathers. Oh, God damn. Mm. Yeah. So the first version of this novel was made in 1914. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> At that point, it was about as far away from the events taking place as we are from Gulf War One. Oh, my God. I think it's yeah. had like five other movie versions of it. Yeah, so, there have been a bunch. The 1939 one is by far the best one. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Diana and I are going to disagree on this because I actually like this. Really? I yeah. Thought, yeah, I did. Yeah. I thought it was a perfectly enjoyable period film you know these are not modern people these are people mm -hmm. with a different mindset a different a worldview and we're being put into the world of their eyes we see the british stiff upper lip in action a world where being a coward being accused of cowardice was the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to you. Mm. Basically, if you want the modern comparison, it's like being accused of being a racist today. Okay. Mm. No, I'm serious. Um, Back in the 1880s. Right. Being were, a white guy has never been harder. Never. Yeah. <laughs> if you were accused of being a coward, it would damage your reputation mm. immensely yeah. so. Yeah. So the 
film based on the book, it's about the four feathers of the title are feathers that Heath Ledger's character is given for cowardice when he's supposed to ship off of this fancy British regiment to the Sudan in the 1880s. He doesn't want to go. They all call him cowards. It ruins his life. And then he decides, no, I am going to go. I'll go by myself then. I'll get down to Sudan and help out with the slaughtering of native peoples. And... <sighs> um. Yeah, obviously, it's extraordinarily colonial. I was hoping <laughs> for kind of a, a more an in, more interesting look because it's directed by Shekhar Kapoor, who's mm -hmm. Indian, and his last movie was Elizabeth, which is a fucking banger, and I love that movie. Mm -hmm. And this one, it's gorgeous to look at. It is truly beautiful. It has fantastic cinematography by Robert Richardson, who's a genius. But I just found the story kind of inert. Like, they didn't... I'm not expecting modernizing. I'm mm -hmm. expecting maybe recontextualizing a little bit. I, I remember that. And it, it feels a lot like this is just the same movie from 1939. You didn't really change anything. I remember that being little things. the criticism is that it, it's very much like I am trying to make a classic Hollywood movie. And that, yeah. that may or may not work for, that didn't work well for the audience 20 years ago. And it may or may not work for you now, but it, it, yeah. it does achieve that at least. And, and yeah. for whatever reason, it worked for me, so it did achieve it for well, me. I, I think you you love the historical stuff, so I like, do. Yeah, well, me too. And, and I, but, back yeah. then, I definitely wasn't. So me trying to watch this was just like it was pulling teeth, man. Back yeah. in the day, even though there's a lot of action, there's a lot there of is. running and gunning and fighting and shooting and yeah. But I just I don't know. I felt like this is like a bad remake from the '50s, not a good remake from the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it just reminded me of like, you know, every couple of months you see like, we're going to remake Cleopatra. I'm like, no, you're not. Nobody wants to see that. You just like the old movie and want to recapture all that about it. No, no audience wants to see the, anything like that version of Cleopatra. She would have to be like a samurai warrior or something. Uh, <laughs> nobody wants to see you know, that. What's really weird, though, is that next week we have almost the exact same situation, which is like, I loved this movie as a kid. I mm -hmm. want to make an updated version for everybody. And that one fucking works. Yeah, like, I want to make the movie I saw in my head. This one doesn't. Not for me, at least. But stuffy, next week we have, we have a serious and one. So, yeah, Four Feathers is kind of like, and also, I, I feel like well, we don't have a lot of Heath Ledger performances and right. he's fine in it. So... We didn't have a lot of Wes Bentley performances for a while. This was sort of like his yeah. writing American Beauty into something bigger and didn't hear about him until like the Hunger Games again. In yeah, that's true. So in terms uh, of uh, just like, eh. the dumb action flick I wanted, but was. But, <laughs> but yeah, now, I mean, all of this looks like a goddamn masterpiece in comparison to <laughs> the lowest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes, period. It's... Period? Period. 118 reviews zero percent i i really Jesus. thought i could put this on and this is not available to stream most places weirdly because it's a studio film uh, uh we'll, we'll get into it talisa soto ray park greg henry uh and of course antonio bandetith and lucy Liu and ballistic colon x versus sefer someone's developed a micro device created to be the perfect killer injectable one touch of a button you can give a head of state a heart attack it will take two extreme agents to stop it. Antonio Banderas, Agent X. That's how I deal with the stress. Lucy Liu, Agent Sever. My turn. Ballistic X versus Sever. So, so I thought I chose this as being like I'm. I think this movie deserves a shot at redemption. 
I didn't love it when I saw it. And I remember the reviews were like, this is just like action for action's sake, filled with action in every shot. And I'm like, well, let's maybe recontextualize this in a post-John Wick world. Maybe maybe we were wrong about X versus Sever. And we nobody was. Um, it was a, a script that was around since 1986, got retooled a billion times and basically once the matrix came in like make this into the matrix basically is what that was with none of those cinematic nuances it's like it is filled with action of the most boring static degree you have ever seen nothing about it is kinetic or you never feel any sense of tension the dialogue is silly but the same can be said for the john wick movies but they move briskly and their action sequences like Always you come away, how the fuck did they do that? How the fuck did they do that? You'll never say that in Ballistic X versus Ever. You know exactly how they did that. Yeah, stuntman punched nine inches away from Lucy Liu's face. And then a, a stunt woman came in for her. And it just, it's it's awful. Oh, no, some of the how did they do that, but within the movie, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed thinking about because every big showdown seems to have required the participants to show up early to plant bombs everywhere <laughs> that they could send set off dramatically. Yeah. Like I knew you were going to go over to that train car and then it blows up. Yeah. It's like, do they coordinate that between them? Like, okay, you get the grounds from 12 to 1230, then you got to leave. Cause I'm coming <laughs> in at 1235 to plant my secret bombs. It's, I didn't. I didn't catch the whole thing, and I, I, I more than anything wanted to find like somebody out there on the internet who's like, "Nah, man, this is this is the this is the tits. I love this. This is an equilibrium, way better than Matrix." And I, I didn't really see any of that. This doesn't have a legacy like that. It's kind of stuck in its legacy of being terrible. Anybody um, else have a di- different experience with it? I don't think so. No, no, just <laughs> it's so dumb. And like, I, I want. I want Lucy Liu of all people like totally. Yeah, I wanted her to be a bigger action star because she was really good at it. And this sort of thing, just no. This is I, you got to actually... go back to Charlie's Angels for her now. It sucks because I like her. I'm mildly conflicted. Like, what kind of action star was she? Did she have a background in that or not? Or was she just an Asian people knew about at the time? Because mm. I I don't know that I've seen. You know, Charlie's Angels is what it is, but it's like a lot of stunt doubles and stuff. It's more popcorn fun than it is. Michelle Yeoh kind of shit. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I just, I'm just not sure. She's great in Kill Bill. How about that? Yeah, I guess she did some Escrima as a kid. Yeah, which is a uh, Filipino martial art, but not like very studied it like a, as a kid. Right, same way. I, I would. I was thinking maybe she had a dance background because yeah. she's got that kind of thing going, but not really. Because she did get a lot of roles like this, and I just sort of, I, I, I'm kind of, I meant to check on it. I was kind of unsure what her martial arts background might be but it's not good in this movie and like nothing <laughs> there's there's nothing so spectacular bad. about it you can look up the, the scenes on youtube it looks like it's from a movie with a much more boring title that is basically just telling you yeah these people are gonna fight on screen the whole movie but why is it it not just called ballistic that's a fine title i, I i'm guessing it was called x versus sever and somebody had a problem with that that's a much better title <laughs> but they're acting like i know who x or sever are i don't i know it should have been eek that's... eek the cats redemption like for that... him from last week <laughs> that title makes me think it's coming from a video game not becoming a video game i think that was part of it too because it got multiple video game <laughs> adaptations mm-hmm. for a movie that performed very poorly in two totally distinct games at that so i think they were they were riding on like yeah let's 
you know, let's the Matrix wasn't ready with their game. Let's let's get out there with Ballistic X versus Sever. And that's I think that's part of its shitty legacy is that people have been streaming its equally shitty games for just the amount of, the same amount of time as this reputation. The movies had this reputation, but ready to I'm, I'm just amazed there wasn't one reviewer who was like, Okay, you know, this isn't very good, but there's something of value here that no. not one. No, no, because like I mean, I think, you know, what harmed the second third and possibly fourth matrix movies were like it didn't have those action sequences you've never seen before and wowed you like these are just action sequences you could see in any other film you didn't really raise the bar or anything like that yeah the same could be said for the no 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 because the matrix reloaded still like told one wonderful wonderfully and visually whimsically and this is not like everything's too lit too craney long shots fake fake hits it sucks it sucks. It sucks. It sucks. But it's got to get out of the way of the other duo film that's coming out this week. Guaranteed to please. <laughs> Ava Amuri, Robin Thomas, Erica Christensen, Jeffrey Rush, Susan Sarandon, and Goldie Hawn in The Banger Sisters. The person that I was is not the person that I am. Would you like to dance? You want to dance? Does our mom have a secret life? <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah. The Banger Sisters. Your discretion advised. The Banger Sisters. My question is, how do you drink and party and do drugs every night from your teens to your 40s and end up looking like Goldie Hawn does in this film? (laughs) Okay. Because, okay, when you're from zero to 23, your rent on your body is paid by God. After that, you got to start making payments or it just goes downhill fast. Look at me, kid. I can understand you know, being a groupie who parties every night when you're 20, but Goldie Hawn's in her 40s and she's still rocking it and her lifestyle is not one that should allow her to look how she looks in this film. True. Yeah, that is a good point. Um, No, she's in her 50s in this. Is is she in her 50s? Okay. She's in her 50s, but the amount of drinking that she's doing, she should be putting on a lot more weight. (laughs) Bare minimum. Yeah. Booze is fattening people. I... I kind of had high hopes for this as being like the second part of a uh, fa- double feature with Almost Famous of like, and here's where Penny Lane ends up <laughs> because it's basically with, with, about as that. her it's mom. About <laughs> yeah, as her mom, literally her mom. <laughs> Um, hadn't even thought of that. That's yeah. fine. But uh, yeah, the Goldie Hawn and Susan Sarandon used to be like party chicks. They'd hang out with rock stars. They'd hang out with you know they were groupies mm-hmm. and. Susan Sarandon has become the world's most boring upper middle class mom who wears a lot of beige and her friend Goldie Hawn shows up at her house and is like party and she's like ew no okay yeah fair though okay I think there was a episode of sex in the city which was all about a party girl who got married settled down and then she went out to relive her party life and she realized uh, i'm not in my 20s anymore i can't do this mm-hmm. and that handled it in like 28 minutes or whatever sex in the city <laughs> is far more better than this movie does in 90 something or however long it is but yeah it, it's it's just too cheesy at times it doesn't have the heart to tackle these characters as anything but cliches and the mm. jokes aren't funny enough to have them be only cliche joke machine dispensers 
Yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought there would be something more redemptive in here because, like, Goldie Hawn works very rarely and was working very rarely at this point. This and is the point where she just stops for 15 years. Yeah, she doesn't this, make another movie for it. 15 years after this. But she makes public yeah. appearances, so it's not like she's a recluse. She's just... Yeah, no, she's around. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to. And, and, and But she, I don't think she'd made a movie for, like, three or four years before this, and it was just yeah. a reteam with Steve Martin. And damn, I was just wow. We have like her whole family this week. We got her, we got <laughs> Kurt, we got her daughter. Oh my god, do we have that? Uh, who's that guy who played U.S. agent on that Captain America series? No, he would have been too now. young still. Too young. He's a little kid. Maybe she wants to stay home and take care of the little kids. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I just thought, like, oh, this script is amazing. I have to do this film, and it was not received that way. No, no yeah, no, no. no, it's kind of bumped. There's some they have like decent chemistry, and there are uh, a scene or two that are fun, but yeah, it's just a random daughter, and it's too it's a, it's a family affair. We, yeah goldie hawn was one of the most bankable female actresses for like 15 years like she was a guaranteed yeah. box office draw so you know just just mentioning that offhand we should move into television because that's this is where i really want to be right now i'm gonna make us wait yeah. jr <laughs> you want to talk about fast lane because i, I want to talk about I'm fast confused. Lane. i actually have I've one never, thing to say about fast lane i've never seen fast lane but my friends loved it okay so the actress who plays Kaylee in the show we are about to talk to after we talk about Fastlane has a story about how when they were filming their show, she drove past the huge giant Fastlane premiere party where they were throwing out all the works and having uh, all the network executives there. And there was nothing like that for their show. Mm. And she went, well, I guess our show isn't going to last. But then she asked, how many Fastlane conventions have you been to since There you go. What do they call Fastlane fans? uh, Fasters? Fasters. Um, Yeah. They don't have a name is what is my friend. Facinelli's. They're Peter Facinelli fans. That's who they are. Basically, it's Miami Vice. That's it. It's a bunch of cops with impressive cars, weapons, and being sexy. Yeah. Their motto is everything we see, we keep. Everything we keep, we use. Yeah. So they Ah. seize all the cool cars and all Mm -hmm. the cool clothes and weapons and whatever. You know, it's co-created by Mick G. The kids love civil forfeiture. It's very big and flashy and stylized, which, you know, we don't have a lot of stylized TV. So something that looks different. Uh, I got to praise. Well, at least they're trying. Yeah, it and was, it went like one whole season. Yeah, it's where Fox was at the time. They're big yeah. one season crash and burns. But we'll skip over the one we really want to talk about to leave it to the end to, to make the listeners wait. How about that? Just because uh, yeah. I, I want to clear out uh, do over debuts this week. So this is an interesting concept. A 34 year old gets zapped back in time to his 14 year old self. Oh no! And. Oh, boy. Yeah, has to, uh, basically, his 34-year-old self is in a very bad spot. His dad is depressed. His sister is a drug addict. His best friend sold out. His mother has ran off and left his father for an unhealthy, bitter man. You know, everything in his family is bad. And he's sent back into the past with adult wisdom and tries to set right what once went wrong. I'm going to start with me inventing the internet. (laughs) <laughs> he tries that and he okay. does a couple of things like that and it, it keeps failing it's probably not that easy yeah it's not just explain how to invent the internet right, right now chris <laughs> okay i've been in some silicon valley meetings and i've heard stupider pitches for people who don't know how to build anything but yeah the do-over uh jesus uh, a talk show co-created by oprah winfrey debuts in syndication this week we're talking about phil mcgraw and dr 
what <laughs> hath Oprah wrought? Isn't that crazy? She's got such a flawless rep- rep- uh, rep- reputation, except for the people she's elevated. I may be Gail King, but 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 yes, these two weird guys hosting syndicated talk shows of questionable, what would you call it, medical advice? Mm. Yeah, Dr. Phil is... Questionable advice, period. Yeah. Still on the air. Still on the air. And as far as I can 3, see... 3,505 <sighs> episodes. I'm sure he never went wrong on any of them. It's, it's, I'm 3,505 Whenever I've seen this, it's it's sort of about like, audience, isn't what she doing naughty? And like, yeah, mm. wham. And you're just like, this isn't helpful for the people watching. This isn't helpful for the people who are there. Like, this is just sort of like publicly shame people and like mock societal oddities and cast outs. It just, it, I don't know. It's... It's Jerry Springer, but pretending that yeah, per- um, it they have some sort of moral high ground. Yes. I just saw it, it was great timing that I just saw a clip going around of like one of the people who came on to really challenge him. Also a piece was of shit. The creator, <laughs> also a piece of shit. The creator of Bum Fights. <laughs> I saw and that. And I love that, that he came on, challenged him of like, what is the difference between what we do? And also came on dressed as dr phil shaved his head mm-hmm. into balling and had a mustache and yeah and then uh security kicks him out that is one of those things though i i didn't expect the zeitgeist to turn around on because that guy was not well received but when that hit the media 20 years ago but now the internet's like yeah dr phil sucks i'm like you can't suck more <laughs> than the bum fights guy i'm sorry like that's almost impossible mm. i saw that first dvd you cannot there's there's not that that shit is straight up evil straight up evil yeah. M- moving yeah, on doc, dr phil just no yeah not an authority don't take advice from tvs there you go just they, let's start with that just don't take don't take advice from tv and then we have the debut of everwood uh oh boy um so yeah this is after a doctor loses his wife he picks up his teenage son and nine-year-old daughter and goes to a sleepy mountain town called everwood colorado because his wife once offhandedly said she'd like to live there someday that is not healthy parenting sir no <laughs> Uh, your wife probably also said she didn't want to have a threesome. You know, listen to her about that. Ah, oh, just honor this wish through my entire life. <laughs> Get to uh, understand my dead lady friend. Did yeah, this... and hey, wives out there, if you're going to start making dying wishes and stuff, like no, it wasn't you know, her dying do, wish. It do your like, man a favor. It wasn't like please <laughs> move to Colorado. It was just like oh, someday I'd like to live in Colorado, Everwood, Colorado. I'd also like okay, to live... let's change our entire life course right. and the life course of our kids. Thank God she didn't yeah, say she not... wanted to live on Jupiter or something. It would have been really yeah, hard not to Not traumatic enough that your ma just died. Now you got to leave all your friends behind and shit. Yeah. So, uh, so your dad yeah, can Yeah, whatever. Find it's a family drama. Everwood. Somewhat. CW. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. A bunch of shows that yeah, we missed, see... but notable for other reasons. And inclu- nothing more notable in my opinion, than eight simple rules for dating my teenage daughter. You guys have been wishy-washy on this when I say John Ritter was one of the most gifted comedic actors the world has ever had. Even in his yeah. bad movies, he is amazing. He's like he's mm. really, really good. He's super sympathetic in a movie like fucking Problem Child. And I didn't hate Stay Tuned. And this is his shot. He's back in his territory, his three's company territory. Eight simple rules for... Dating my teenage daughter. I remember it was always kind of struggling in the rating, but when does he die? He dies on set of the show. One one year from now. Yeah, Yeah, like uh, almost exactly one year. Yeah. And they keep it on the air. And I think just 
refer to as eight simple rules because you don't yep. you got to take out the dad aspect in the title mm-hmm. for an unconscionable amount of time it, yeah, but... it runs 76 episodes 45 of them after ritter's death That's so he had crazy. done 31 episodes of the show and you know i think he's a very talented sitcom star yeah. i think that's his wheelhouse and uh this this worked for him so good on him but yeah we do yeah. we do not have much of the man left i, I think he, but i just always found him su- he's wonderfully relatable as a schlub he does physical <laughs> comedy unlike anybody else who looks like him and can give you a manic screamy performance if you need him to as well <laughs> i i yeah miss john miss the john ritter but not this show yeah no, I, I appreciate that they actually kept the show going because, like, I mean, the the rest of the bench is pretty deep. I mean, it's mm-hmm. Kelly Kaylee Cuoco is the titular teenage daughter and uh, Katie Segal is the wife. Like, nice. these guys are fucking pros. Right. Let them keep their show. It keeps people employed. It's nice that way. Anyway. And then another show I barely remember debuts, John Doe. John Doe. Who is John Doe? I remember the marketing telling me. And I so, never bought uh, Basically, this is what if a amnesiac was Google because <laughs> this guy's superpowers that he knows stuff, the composition of bullets, the full history of Jack the Ripper, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, if you have a cell phone connected to the Internet, you have this guy's superpower. Yay. <laughs> and then we have this is only the third Twilight Zone yeah. debuting. Is this the Force Whitaker one? Yes. Yes, yes okay. it is. I, I had to think about that. But yes, this is the third of four versions of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, they keep rebooting it. I get why it's a known brand, but nothing's ever going to match the original. Mm-hmm. They had a couple of good twists. Can I spoil one of the more interesting ones Please. for a 20-year-old? Okay. So spoiler for the Twilight Zone 2002, one episode. They had this start out with a artist drawing his dream girl. And then his dream girl comes to life and then they start having conflicts and they start having problems. And by the end of it, he he says, you know, you're my dream girl. Why aren't you doing more for me? And the big reveal is she created him, that he is her creation. And I I thought it was a decent twist. Jim Davis didn't get quite what he wanted. Um, (laughs) Yeah, It's Ruby Sparks with payback. So I I did not look into this before the show, so this is a great time for listeners to correct me. This is the one regarded as kind of the most good and also goes out of its way to... I love the Twilight Zone movie, personally, and Mm -hmm. why not remake classic Twilight Zones? And I think this one did, and they're not poorly received. Um, but yeah, there was a couple of remakes of classic Twilight Zones in addition to New Tale. But I have not gotten around to see it, all of it yet. But I really wanted to back in the days. Uh, anyway, moving on yeah, to... It remade Eye of the Beholder. This chat- oh. And the monsters are due on Maple Street. Yes. Okay, that and one's great. That one's awesome. It has a sequel episode to It's a Good Life called wow. It's Still a Good Life. Hope, with Bill <laughs> Mooney? Hope yeah, gonna... Bill Mooney, which that... That, that would be a scary concept, honestly. It's good. Okay, Monsters that... do all Maple Street. I'll give you that one because it's timeless because it's about paranoia. Mm-hmm. If you make it in modern dress, it's it's going to hit exactly the same. I suppose, but it's still like could... not the same paranoia we any previous generation has experienced. Huh. Hmm. The second... always the commies and nuclear weapons, like that's we're just not there. So I guess the, Sharia law. 
Sure. There's something else then. Yeah, mm. there's always going to be something. I, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. They're just... woke. Woke aliens Monst- coming to our neighborhood. Monster, uh, mo- The monsters are due on Maple Street. Not only a great Twilight, epi- Twilight Zone episode, it has the distinction of being the only one we were forced to watch in school. I don't remember why, but we did. So I've never forgotten it. Um, Unsolved Mysteries also ends this week. Well, asterisk. Asterisk. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's it's not the same show, but it's the same show. It's the ship of Theseus Unsolved Mysteries. Right. So the original one with Robert Zach ran 87 to 97 on NBC, then 97 to 99 on CBS. And this is its ending its lifetime run 2001 to 2002. With Dennis Farina? Kind of, or he, almost he like where it belongs because like quote unquote lifetime television for women. There's a lot of fucking true crime on there now, man. All yeah. TV yeah. channels aimed towards women have an awful lot of murder. True. <laughs> so I did look it up. How many unsolved mysteries have been solved? Uh, it's over 100, oh. right? We have 100 from Chris. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, well, let's see. There's 593 episodes total because it is technically going right now on Netflix. So yes. um, let's say 250. 400. No shit. Woo! That's yeah. a pretty good. That's that's better than most cops. yeah and 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 not not to poo-poo the new unsolved mysteries because i liked a couple of the episodes it's like i just wish you called this something else because these are just murder mysteries with one Mm. dude they covered like folklore and aliens and shit and unsolved mysteries and they have a human host give me that yeah that that was always i didn't like i liked the real world mysteries on unsolved mysteries Mm -hmm. i did not like it when they went all supernatural and oogie googie because i I was always like well the mystery is that someone's lying there i solved that mystery <laughs> make it unsolved murders boom and, and they just, did <laughs> and that's all it is and yeah. boo there's plenty of other shows that cover unsolved murders unsolved mysteries it's coming back i believe in a couple of weeks uh, to netflix uh we also have the emmys this week the emmys hosted by Yay. oh this is a good one um conan o'brien conan o'brien hosting the emmys this week he's one of my favorite hosts who who's the big winners this year Got, West Wing looks like they cleaned up yeah, in nominations, did. but and they won uh, original drama series, Friends won comedy, uh, Letterman won musical variety, America tribute to heroes won variety music comedy special. The which, biggest one for me, remember, which I that for- was a big love. The biggest one, one for me um, is one I forecasted a few weeks, months ago. Uh, the Shield, which at the time hmm. most people hadn't even heard this show existed, but was slowly gaining an audience on FX. Michael Chiklis wins for The Shield. I would say, like, the least watched show of the nominations for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series. Wow. That actually is a good point. Beating Michael C. Hall in Six Feet Under, Peter Krause in Six Feet Under, Martin Sheen on West Wing, and Kiefer Sutherland in the first season of 24. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bitch. And this is like, that's that's, that's FX's first out-the-gate drama. And it's pilot wins best actor and got it a whole shitload of attention to the point where I was watching this with up to 12, the shield with up to 12 people by the end of its run. And now, now FX has a very sturdy reputation as an HBO-esque house of quality, give or take a nip tuck, which is just yep. bodyguard. Oh, yay. <laughs> Out, outstanding guest actress in a comedy series is Cloris Leachman on the episode of Malcolm in the Middle. I talked about on the podcast about Malcolm in the Middle. Hey. Yeah, um, I was on. It was she. God, she was so fucking funny. Uh, yeah, and Band of Brothers, obviously in miniseries, yes. so that cleans up everywhere else. So yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And um, now I want to get to the big rodeo. Oh boy. oh boy! One of my favorite warts and all. One of my favorite shows of all time. Take my love. Take my land. 
Take me where I cannot stand. Woo! I don't care. I'm still free. You can't take the sky from me. Can I? Let me just say this off the top, real quick. Joss Whedon has got a reputation as kind of an asshole in latter day news stories, and I believe his accusers of this and that. I some city, shitty. Why would you say that to Cordelia? Why would you? Why would you be meeting a Ray Fisher? Maybe an abusive user of a person on set. But this is my introduction to Whedon, and everyone is like a family. Like nobody has those stories. Which... No, on Firefly, there are no stories like that. Everyone on the cast still gets along with each other and they, with Whedon. They appeared in public together every con in a billion reunions for a billion reasons, and all those actors have done things together again. They all seem like great friends. Maybe the difference is, is they, they were adults, and Joss Whedon was a little more of an adult. Doesn't explain his time on Justice League. But for dorks, I think, one, it's, it's interesting... If you can put all that aside, and it's okay if you cannot, this is holds up as one of the best series, despite many series looking better nowadays. And this is the tone of the the MCU. Like, yeah. this is where mm. it comes from. We know that mm-hmm. because Whedon is a huge, he's instrumental in having built it, but I'd say he's the most instrumental other than Jon Favreau, because when you watch Firefly, they talk like MCU characters in the last Thor movie, like, and Joss Whedon is nowhere near the set. It's just, that's well, what it is. Joss Whedon being chosen to direct the Avengers was taken as a huge surprise at the time. Mm-hmm. But if you look at this episode, it completely makes sense. Firefly is all about the characters, okay? Mm-hmm. I think the characters are why this series, which is the shortest sci-fi series that is still popular to this day. Yep. Okay, <laughs> Firefly, you can still find merch from it. It ran what 13 episodes 15 15 episodes in a movie 15 episodes you can still find merch for it what other show is that true for but in those 15 episodes we get a sense of each character so expertly Mm -hmm. and all of them have their own voice and all of them interact with each other so well and one thing i would like everyone to ask themselves in future media is am i interested in listening to this person talk That is a separate question from, do I like this person? Okay. Hmm. It's listening to this person talk interesting. Jane is objectively a horrible human being. (laughs) One should ever want to be around and should run from if you ever meet a Jane in real life. A fascinating. Jane, the character, is fascinating. He's fascinating. He's amazing. He's the hero of Mudville. (laughs) Man, they call me. Man, they call Jane. Uh, and, and and believe me, he's played by an actor who, in my personal experience and opinion, is a way bigger piece of shit than Joss Whedon. I mm, we just yeah. <laughs> but I love that character in that like, oh, is he gonna fucking betray everyone? Like he's constantly feeling like, he, oh, he does. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he does. He is no. that character. You don't have to wonder. This now isn't I, I must stop right here and mm. say for everyone who says they don't like westerns. And y'all mm. know who you are. Mm. If you enjoy 10 seconds worth of Firefly, then you are a liar because this is wagon train in space. And that's why I like it's, it. It's a bit of that. And and mm. and I think the another huge thing about it that isn't played up in the episode that airs 20 years ago this week is that it uh, is... Are we getting to Fox fucking it over right now? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying um, Malcolm Reynolds, uh, Nathan Fillion, maybe one of my favorite people in the universe. Love that guy. Uh, but his character of Malcolm Reynolds unlike all the captains of starships we've seen before is the loser 
He's the yeah. he's he lost, and that happens a lot in westerns. Like, mm-hmm. I, like I I don't want anything from you. I just want to go my way. That's that is Mal's philosophy. He didn't like the way the world was going and decided to live on the fringe of it. It's not Star Trek. It's not Battlestar. And it's no, all about that's the all, searchers, yeah. bitches. This is yeah. stagecoach. It's this a, movie, yeah. it, the show, is stagecoach. Yeah, this is post some sort of war in which his side lost. Sorry, but he's a Confederate and. Yeah can't live in this new society has got to go out to the fringes and you have a bunch of characters who are also people who can't live in society a tough lady a lady mechanic a sex worker or any lady mechanic a mercenary the sex worker uh, who is in this world is the most regarded uh person on the <laughs> ship if not in that universe fascinating to look at some weirdo uh, em- empirical merger between the chinese and america w- littered with poorly colonized and terraformed planets on the periphery of this what would you call this? It is this system. Firefly is a slower than light universe. They don't go faster than light. They don't zip between uh, totally stars. Totally did not know that. <laughs> They're all in one star, and they just travel around the solar system, and it's got a bunch of habitable moons, you know? Yeah. I love that when they terraform a planet, it always ends up looking like the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. Well, that's the easiest <laughs> terraform. Actually, yeah. One thing on Mal Reynolds. I think... In the last 20 years, Nathan has played a lovable goofball so much that I think that's retroactively affected our memories of Mal. Yeah. Because Mal will tell a joke now oh, and he's then. he's a serious but person. He is, he is the serious, most serious person in Firefly. No one is as stern and least likely to joke as Mal. Yeah. It's not that he never tells joke. It's just and they're rare. Almost unlikable. It's just you spend the most time around him to see where he's coming from. Everybody else is much more likable than Mal. And and, and I, for Buffy fans, if you haven't seen it, he was, I guess we, I feel like he discovered him and he was, he played Caleb, one of the big bads in the, one of the latter seasons of Buffy. And even that doesn't come close to how wonderful I think he is in his depiction of the leader of this, this starship. So like almost any dork knows who Nathan Fillion is. And now Nathan Fillion <laughs> guest stars in everything I'll ever like. Always. <laughs> he's he such to. a fun actor. I've, I've, Never seen a performance from him where I'm just like, well, you're phoning that in. Mm-hmm. He He's always having a blast. But to touch on Diana's comment, yeah, we are seeing Confederates here. And I want to yep. throw this out there. Until the movie Serenity, there's not much evidence that the Alliance is the bad guys. There are. The first thing River. we see the Alliance do is respond immediately to a distress single. The first thing we see the crew of Firefly do is plant a false rescue signal, which makes it more probable that a real rescue signal will be ignored and innocent people will die. It, well, they start out with the the hands of blue and the, that nefarious nonsense, but like not in this episode, sadly, but like yeah. River and Simon Tam are evidence of people within the system that it's not going well and there's something insidious under the surface. But you're right, it is not forecast well in this episode because I'm sure JR has things to say on it but in Diana, but like this is all has a super weird history. Joss Whedon creates uh, Buffy and then the spinoff Angel through Mutant Enemy. These are TV shows owned by Fox that did not air on Fox, that they have to be kicking themselves. These cultural phenomenons airing on their competing network and they if you still buy the dvds those are fox products so now we're going to put you on fox proper with a much bigger budget and let you do the thing you've always wanted to do firefly and it looks like at some point there's not a lot of uh, uh tampering with the product but a lot of dissatisfaction when the final product comes out and there is a pretty great feature-length pilot 
that Fox decides, no, you don't lead with this. We find this boring. Which is so stupid from a character-driven drama. Yep. You need to know who these characters are. You need to know why they are together. Airing it out of order was such a mistake by the Fox executives. But just that, and that, they didn't know how to advertise it. Play the clip. Oh, yeah. Take a six-shooting spaceman from oh, Pilot Savant. Who's flying this thing? All right, that would be me. Tough guy named Jane. Oh, I'm gonna scare him. Pain is scary. Cosmic hooker. How's business? None of yours. And a girl in a box. What do you get? The most twisted new oh, show on television. Let's move. Out there? Oh, it's out there. That's what makes us special. From the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Firefly, the series premiere. It's, the Smash Mouth isn't even the worst. How, how is that? Yeah. Oh. If you I, were to tell me that was someone making a parody of Fox advertising this show, I'd believe you. All it was like had... some bitter Firefly plan going, yeah, see, this is what they would have advertised it as. You know? All they had to do from the makers of Angel and Buffy. Like, hello, that, that that's already a huge audience, especially bigger than the, they dumped it in the Friday night time slot, which is mm-hmm. kind of notorious death where sci-fi shows go to either thrive on a small budget or die if their budgets are large, which Fireflies was. And... Fox was unhappy with the feature length pilot. And I think even though other episodes had been written, like, no, you need to write another pilot. So there is two and a half hours of Firefly pilot and they're both kind of phenomenal. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's kind of amazing to say that because like, obviously I think the feature length thing introduces you better to the character in the world much better. And in our world now, if Fox didn't like that, that you could put that on streaming services like a week beforehand. And like, here's something for the over the air audience with the, the train job. The train job is the first episode, technically the second episode of Firefly, but it's the first one you see because there is no streaming world and there is no, it's not leaked on torrents yet. Were either of you day one viewers? Hell no. Hell nope. no. I had to be talked into not. it into the DVD era. I'm like, it's impossible yep. what you're saying. And it, it, I don't know what it was. There was nothing else really like it at the time. Cause I remember my friend handed me some box DVDs and you did have like 24 and Firefly. Those are completely different tastes. They feel like almost like they're 10 years apart, but they're airing simultaneously and, and Firefly instantly like, Oh God, this is what it's like to read comics, to read serialized versions of things. Why well, you love Star Trek. So you can dig deeper into characters, which what was that? The Orville does that super fast now, like really tries to get you to care about these characters on a next gen level very fast. But I think there's an elegance in Firefly that spread into the Marvel universe. This is how you make sense of ensemble characters right away. I, I believe I've heard people, the opening of Serenity is if you're assuming you've never seen the Firefly universe before, that is nine minutes to tell you what every character's personality is, what they want and what they won't do in the first nine minutes. Like it's pretty compelling. Josh Whedon is kind of doing a magic trick that I think, I don't, I don't know that he has any new things to share with us as a creator, but like, I think this Firefly is important for abundance of reasons and it made shows quicker and funnier and more clever. They had to be. Yeah, I just I I remember seeing ads for this and having no idea what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. they they seem to be like leaning on the science fiction part, mm-hmm. and I was like, is this like a like a Star Trek kind of thing? Or I don't know why, but this and Space Above and Beyond have like, <laughs> like I was expecting that, and that's the show from like 1995. Yeah. <laughs> just of like I don't know, it's some sort of sci-fi gobbledygook. I don't really care, and it's like they had told me it's a character-based western. I would have shown up. 
Mm-hmm. But then yeah, the title just... doesn't tell you that. The ads didn't tell you that. I wasn't watching Buffy, so that wasn't a draw for me. Right. I wasn't there either. And... Yeah, I was a huge Buffy fan, but I was also living in Japan, so I didn't really have much connection to American TV shows at the time. So mm-hmm. I didn't discover this until I got back, and my nerd friends were like, this is the most amazing show ever, and it was out on DVD. I was like, okay, I'll watch it. And mm-hmm. I think I watched it the entire series with four different girlfriends. <laughs> uh, I, wow. Yeah. I think I did too. One of which named their dog river afterwards. Cause nice. It, how nice. I, I, I've yet to meet a person that fireflies charm doesn't, hasn't worked on. Cause I, part of our pre-streaming era was like handing a DVD to someone like, please watch mm-hmm. this. I think you'll love it. There's a letter writing campaign to get it back. Everyone I handed it to was like, this is awesome. Why did they cancel this? Why did they cancel Mm -hmm. this? They moved the slot around. They changed the time of the episodes, uh, or they changed the order of the episodes, several of which went totally unaired. Like, how is this better than nothing? Seriously? Like, a rerun of something is going to be better than Out of Gas? A fantastic Because a rerun is free, okay? They put it in the Friday night death slot. Mm -hmm. In the previous nine years before Firefly, Nine shows in that slot had been canceled, okay? Not a good record. (laughs) In the 16 years after Firefly, 31 shows in that spot were canceled. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so that is the spot where you put something to die no it's 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 actually even worse than that it's it's an old way of thinking about television first of all and second it's not that they put it there to die it's just i think um at some point x files and millennium had picked up on that so this is something i was reading a long time ago so maybe i could be full of shit it was fox's intention that like well most normal people are out doing friday night things you know, going to the sock hop, the, the soda jerk. Uh, they're going to the movies. They're out partying. They're at bars. Dorks are home on Friday because they had like yeah. USA Network numbers. And USA Network had found a lot of success with airing like first run shows on a weekend, which networks normally do not. I don't. It wasn't necessarily Fox like trying to kill it. But like if it's going to find an audience, it's going to be here and maybe not necessarily up against whatever super popular in 2002 just to not give it any time and not put it on like maybe air it a different time slot tell people a little more about it and and correct me if i'm wrong on this i don't remember critics being crazy about this either it was this is no it was not a critical darling this your classic cult hit and cult hits are not popular at the time remember we were talking about the thing the thing bombed with audience it bombed with critics Firefly was not this runaway success until after it was dead. And, mm-hmm. because- and then what happened, though? What happened? They make a movie, and they, they they managed to get together. There's enough clout with the the cult is pushing so hard that they get a movie. The movie bombs. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the movie is yeah. Is it could cross over. The movie is and wonderful. the movie's really the- fun. The movie made a mistake in calling itself Serenity. Oh, yeah. Terrible title. Okay. Because it's a horrible name. Uh, The fans already know what Serenity is. It is one of the most kick-ass action movies of its year. It's amazing. And it's called Serenity. The the only reason Firefly doesn't look as good is because you have Serenity. This, like, it's not a big budget movie, but it is a Hollywood budget movie. Mm -hmm. And it looks a lot better and does things the TV show could never do. And... Yeah, I watched this for research, went into a binge, didn't watch all of them, but ended up crying into my whiskey watching Serenity as I watched the potential of this all go away. That was also like Fox didn't listen to the fans. Universal Studios did. And I just remember all the heat behind this because 
one, I shouldn't even talk about that serenity. Just that Universal saw the fan base and thought Fox is pretty stupid for not exploiting this. Why don't we ask for the rights? They said, yes. Mm -hmm. Universal's like, you know, we have theme park potential for a sci-fi hit. Why not give this a shot? This is making all this money on like loads of money on DVD. Why not try this? And then Universal sort of fucked it up and moved its schedule around and then did the really weird thing of going to fan conventions and showing this movie to people for free for a, about 18 months before the movie came out. So spoilers were all over the place, all over the place. And the biggest Firefly fans in the universe had seen the movie by the time it hit theater. Bizarre. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But this is this is the debut of Firefly. Kind of a double-edged sword. We talk about it because it is a bit of... It's a feat of network tampering, but it's it's a good episode. Oh, it's a great episode. I mean, mm. just even looking at the ship, you know, from the second you see it for the first time, this is a lived-in area. Mm. You know, it mm -hmm. looks real. It looks like a place real people live. And yeah. as the series progresses, you know, it's not just the crew going against the Lions week after week. Yeah. You have them going against gangsters. You have them going against small town draconian law officers. You Assassins. have them going against con artists, mm -hmm. bounty hunters, you know. <laughs> oh, Saffron. Oh, my God. Yeah. And there's no sound in space. Yeah. No sound in space. I think they might have sold me in like the first 20 seconds when there's no sound in space. Yeah. And I just lit up. I was so happy. Yeah. Saffron is a, a great character, Chris. And that's mm. one of those things where if we would have had the five season Firefly run, you know, Saffron could have been a recurring character and you could have yeah. had this long she arc. Would, she where... would have been a, a member of the crew and never been on Mad Men. Christina Hendricks is who we're talking about. Yeah. That's mm. possible. But that's also one of those things where you wonder, you know, Joss Whedon came out with the dollhouse, which is not that great, Terrible. in my opinion. <laughs> and there's a couple of potential story ideas for season two of Firefly that have been leaked that seem a little sketchy. And that's one of those things where you wonder, would the future be bright? I think it would have been. Oh, in, because... the, in the streaming era, we immediately would have had a resurrection of this. It would still mm -hmm. be going. And the, the only reason yeah. we haven't had one now is because you're talking about nine different people, one of them dead, right. who are contracted to different shows. Nathan Fillion yeah. found far more success in Castle, a show I have only seen in the Halloween episode where he dresses up as Captain Malcolm Reynolds. <laughs> That's the only thing I've seen of Castle. Great. I love that. I love that bit. Because he's, he's talking to his daughter and he says... <sighs> You're wearing your cowboy outfit again, and he says, "A lot of people love me in this cowboy outfit." <laughs> well, I'm a space cowboy. Yeah, yeah. The people who say the series on Hill because of these plots that have leaked out to the internet, I say TV making is a collaborative effort. Uh, mm -hmm. Just because someone has a bad idea doesn't mean it will actually reach the final end process of of the thing. And what I see in Firefly is so many talented people coming together to make something that's greater than any of them. All of these actors mm -hmm. are great. All the writers uh, are, went on to do amazing All the writers things. are great. And I really feel like if it had had a chance to mature, I think that greatness could have grown on itself because, again, these characters, like, think of it this way. In most TV shows, you have one character who is ignorant of everything. Mm -hmm. They don't know anything, and they're always, gee, what's this? Well, let me explain it to you, Bob. In Firefly, the characters all have their area of ignorance. Jane does not know how to act civilized. The Tams do not know the rough and tumble worlds. You know, and each character. <laughs> Kaylee doesn't know how to be horny. Yeah. 
<laughs> Each uh, I character. have to correct you there. Gina Torres's character knows everything about everyone at all times. She does. I love her so much. She's I love amazing. the character, oh, yeah. but I love the actress, Gina Torres. Gina Torres is she amazing. pops up all over the damn place. I'm always happy to see her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they're, they're all great, you know. But yeah, yeah, I just think that this is joyful genre fun. Yes. But what I can yeah. really <laughs> do and this is going to be hard for our listeners, I can look back on being a geek in 2002 and remember what it was like when I did not have enough geek stuff. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm sitting on a Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones prequel series, each episode of which has a bigger budget than a season of Farfly. (laughs) And I, I, I just can't bring myself to care about them. It's fine if you do. There's nothing wrong with them. They're just not enough to engage me. And my time is so limited Mm -hmm. and there's so much stuff out there. But in 2002, I could experience all of Firefly. Okay. I'm never going to watch all of Star Trek. Okay. I'm not, I don't Mm. have that time anywhere in my future life. I've tried, but I probably rewatched, you know, at a gas or something like that. Like, just a drunken 4 a.m. viewing. Oh, God, it's such a good I'll never watch all of Doctor Who. And at this point, I'm probably not even going to watch all of the MCU. There's TV shows I haven't bothered to watch in almost 10 years. I've done so it. So I mm. doubt I'll do it. But I get to experience all of Firefly. It's a complete story. Personally, well, I don't think there's ever going to be a reboot. That's what was my next question. No. There, there is no. a, a comic. There's talk. There's comic universe. There's always talk. I just think, A, Joss Whedon's a little too toxic now. And, and I don't really want him. I don't want it to come back without him. I don't think that's, I think that's dumb. I don't think it had the same flavor. And I don't think any studio would put him in charge, would have him show run. They canceled his previous HBO show before it was even done airing just because he was a toxic human being. I don't think that'll happen because it's, it's if it was still under Fox, that might have happened. But now it's under Disney. And like the Orville is about to go through the exact same process as Firefly. Die Hard fans, show on the bubble. Please bring this back for a limited streaming engagement. Much easier to do than bringing back an old cast like Firefly. I don't think it'll ever happen. There are comics out there. I don't remember them being like, this is a satisfying way to continue and end the story. I don't remember that. Serenity was a much better way. Serenity is a perfect bow. Serenity wraps everything up. It's basically like season two and season three of Firefly in 90 minutes. That's what Serenity is. And and, and I think if we haven't said this already, it's uh, uh, perfect. Every episode is essential. There's not a wasted moment, and the movie is phenomenal. Uh, yeah. It's worth a watch. And I, yep. fucking pissed, just putting this out there, I collect a lot of stuff. I didn't get rid of my physical media like some of you weirdos, yet trying to find it when everything is in boxes and scattered on shelves, I couldn't find my shit anywhere. So I had to resubscribe to Hulu, which is the only place you can watch this now. Um, <laughs> So I, I was a huge Firefly fan, and I got a book called Finding Serenity, mm-hmm. which is just, again, amazing to me that someone wrote a book in 2004 about a canceled 2002 TV show. On scholarly essays about episodes. it. Scholarly, there, yeah. There's, but, a great, there's a great essay in there on like why it makes sense that people wouldn't use the economy of weaponry, why you would still have bullets in an era of space travel why because mm-hmm. uh yeah wouldn't it, it's unlikely that technology would be available to people who are barely being supported like by the government to begin with this first episode we saw saw a shipment of medication everyone on this planet needs to live because of the the dust they've become in uh what uh in sickened by in sickened is that a word can i say that sure um, yeah yeah <laughs> if firefly had been on upn mm-hmm. it would have been their second highest rated show 
above Star <laughs> Trek Enterprise, which got many seasons. Mm-hmm. So, Whoa. yeah, it, it's it That's sucks. It sucks to think about because if it came out, I think I, I think four years later, we still have some kind of Firefly with this cast in the universe, and certain cast members wouldn't be dead in canon and in real life. And we because the only one that doesn't get fleshed out is fucking book, and it's just yeah. an awesome tease. And I don't know where it's ever going to go now without Ron Glenn. Oh, I have an autograph picture somewhere around here with the entire cast. I've just never let go. I love Firefly. I recommend you watch it if you haven't. It really was the best thing I watched this week, and She-Hulk was amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we are going to talk about a few individual episodes in the weeks going forward just because they're awesome and they deserve a little comment on their own. We're not going to go in this amount of depth on them. Yes. But yeah. And lastly, the the... Feature-length pilot would air nine weeks later, rather confusingly, so anybody who did care was basically seeing a long prequel episode with some things they already knew. <laughs> it's it's such a cruel thing to do to the Weird. show. Um, but it did there, but there's three episodes that never air. They eventually are on Sci-Fi Channel, Sci-Fi Discovery, uh, where they did all roundtable reunions. Anyway, moving on. Firefly Rules, you should watch it. Video yeah. Games of 2002. Kelly Slater's Pro Surfer on PS- PS2. Tony Hawk is such... A gaming phenomenon, every extreme sport from wakeboarding to fucking like uh, Razor Scooters gets its version of Tony Hawk. And yep. this is from Activision, Kelly Slater's Pro Surfer. And uh, they were uh, putting the seeds in early because they put Kelly Slater as an unlockable character in 2001's Tony uh, Hawk's Pro Skater 3. Right. I guess he could, he could skate with a surfboard. <laughs> then there's the Terminator Dawn of Fate on PS2. I have no idea what that is about. That's a prequel. Instead of fighting zombies, you fight Terminators, which is a mistake because the Terminator should be the huge end boss if you're mowing down wave after wave of Terminators. That's sure. yeah. what the Terminators are. I uh, got Castlevania Harmony Dissonance. Just a great... What is this? The middle of the trilogy of uh, game GBA games for Castlevania. Just great, great games all around. Kind of rediscovering what Castlevania does well after post 3D World. Kingdom Hearts on PS2 is out 20 oh. years ago. Somehow oh we've only had three games since then and 12. But <laughs> what's really amazing is not the game itself but that the game exists. I mean, that Square Mm. would get the ability to create an alternative Disney universe filled with most of the voice actors from Disney Mm -hmm. is just like bizarre beyond belief. I guarantee you someone at Disney is just going, how did we let this exist? Why is this a thing? I mean, I, I remember seeing ads for this and just being like, am I having a stroke? There's like, Mickey and Goofy and a bunch of spiky-haired anime kids are doing some shit. What it's, am I even looking at? Well, having, I don't even know. Having your viewpoint character be an original character was a stroke of genius because now you have a good reason for having all these Disney worlds being explored and experienced and for the first time through their if eyes. If you haven't listened to me on VG, Video Game Apocalypse, it's also... You know, having worked in some areas of making a Disney game. So you don't need approvals because you're not making new stories and you're not doing new things with the characters. They're doing the things that's already been approved that they do. But the Square characters, that that's the only insight we learned recently about Kingdom Hearts. If you remember the first Kingdom Hearts, it's like it is Disney cross Final Fantasy. And there's a bunch of Final Fantasy characters and elements in that. And that gradually went away and people complained. And they were sort of using... Final Fantasy characters to get Disney fans used to a RPG formula and once that 
kind of sunk in. They didn't feel like they needed the Final Fantasy characters anymore, and I sort of missed them, but agree. I, I, I like seeing these other universes and characters that don't normally get to play in an RPG be in an RPG. It's kind of stupid to have RPG characters come in and play in an RPG. Not stupid, but it's less interesting. If I can find it before the end of the show, I'll play you the funniest Kingdom Hearts clip I could find. A super serious anime with Goofy, Jack Sparrow, Peter Pan, Cinderella. Very serious dialogue. Holy shit. And then, of course... <laughs> The biggest game of the week, Taz Most Wanted on PS2 and Xbox. It never ceases to amaze me how long Taz and Tweety have been held up in the Looney Tunes stable, despite not making the best cartoons, but being the most recognizable pieces of merchandise. So this is a cell-shaded game, Mm -hmm. and cell-shaded games hold up incredibly well. I'm going to say I think this is the best-looking Looney Tune games of all time. Yeah, yeah, the ones that are cell-shaded, like the Space Race you can up-res and move to whatever platform you want. They're going to look cool. And we will close out with 24-Hour Party People by Happy Mondays. And don't go away. I know Remember it's been a minute. Remember about that movie like six hours ago? Yeah, I know it's been a minute, <laughs> but uh, we have one more segment to get through, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of September 16th through 22nd, we get all kinds of, you know the drill. We go everywhere. And we have so many recommends just in this regular episode that I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet. And I will fail because I have literally like a thousand hours worth of things to recommend. Let's start with 90 years ago this week. Saw an entry in one of my favorite subgenres which is Cary Grant gets pwned by the world's toughest women. This time it's Blonde Venus starring Marlena Dietrich. Cary Grant, he's like the second or third guy build, but, you know, I just, I love it. It's either Marlena Dietrich or it's Sophia Loren or it's Mae West or it's Catherine Hepburn. Cary Grant has just such an interesting string persona that, like, when he came up against a strong woman, it was just fucking gold. Anyway, Blonde Venus from 1932 Directed by Joseph von Sternberg, who really made Dietrich a star and knew how to shoot her. As usual, she's like a nightclub singer who runs into this doctor who thinks he's dying because he's been poisoned by radium. As you do. And she's got a big number, especially one where she comes out of a gorilla costume, which is kind of like the meme, if you can say that, out of this movie. In Batman and Robin, they rip it off? Just mentioning. Also this week, unfortunately, we just lost Jean-Luc Godard, 91 years young, goddammit. And so I definitely have to shout out some Jean-Luc Godard movies, because if you love the gritty realism of 70s films, it's because of the French New Wave of the 60s, of like taking what they learned from classic film and breaking it apart and putting it back together. So Breathless, I think, is probably his most famous movie from 1960 with Jean-Paul Belmondo and Gene Seberg. I have trouble with it because it's one of those movies where nothing really happens and the main character is a dick. But if that if that bothers you, you still have like this beautiful, realistic, you know, filming on the streets of Paris in 1960 that's just like 
gorgeous cinematography by Raoul Coutard, who worked with uh, all the French New Wave guys. And it's just like, I want to go to there. Can I just hang out in a cafe there, maybe? And he also got Contempt with uh, Brigitte Bardot, Pierre Le Fou, uh, again with Jean-Paul Belmondo and Anna Karina, who was like his muse, a band apart. And I'll throw in Alphaville, which I still haven't seen, I admit. But it's a sci-fi neo-noir. So since we've been talking about Blade Runner so much lately, I feel like I'm going to go watch Alphaville in honor of Jean-Luc Godard. It seems appropriate somehow. And then a, a rare TV shout out, but what I really have to do. 50 years ago this week, the TV show MASH debuted. One of the rare TV shows where the show is so much better than the movie. And look, there's people who really love the movie and Altman, blah, 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 blah. And it's so different and it's so ahead of its time. I, I understand. I'm a TV person, man. I grew up with this freaking show. I remember watching that last episode in 1983. I rewatched it a bunch of times. It's it's a fantastic movie, basically, the last episode, which those numbers, those ratings will never, ever be touched. They've, they've been broken since then by things like Super Bowls. But the fact that the entire country just shut down and watched the last episode of MASH is, is like a, a joint experience we'll never have again. The show ran 11 seasons, almost four times as long as the Korean War itself. <laughs> and it is so much fun. It's I, I'm happy to see all 11 seasons are, are running on Hulu. You can just kind of grab random ones. I don't feel like you need to watch it in order because like the whole cast, almost the whole cast changed over except for uh, Alan Alda, Loretta Swit. Jamie Farr as Maxwell Klinger is one of my favorite, favorite characters of all time. Uh, a cross-dressing man who somehow it holds up. You'd really think this, the, the gay and trans jokes would be incredibly dated because they're from the 70s. But no, his thing is he's trying to get out of the army by dressing as a woman. And, and he just kind of runs with it. And then he just feels pretty. And it's so great. In the very last episode, he shows this fancy wedding dress to the girl he wants to marry. And she's like, oh, good. I can't wait to see you in it. I, Jamie Farr was just damn funny. And Larry Linville did actually a lot of really underrated physical comedy. Only Gary Bergdoff, the, the radar, is the only character that came over from the movie. Everyone else is replaced. You think that's risky. And they just nailed it because they got really talented people. Alan Alda basically took over running the show in the end and did a great job. So, yeah, go watch Go watch some MASH. You'll end up seeing so many people before they're famous because they're an army surgical unit. So they have a t they need every 20 year old actor in Hollywood to come through as a patient at some point. So you get a Tim Robbins or a Patrick Swayze and you'll be like, what the fuck? They're so young. So, yeah, MASH, 50, 50 years old this week. I feel like I'm 90. Move over, Jean-Luc Godard. Anyway, that's it for this week. Stay a classic. Coming into 2012 with Below Me, One Last Kiss by Pink. I do not remember any controversy coming from the title of her song here, Below Me. It is Blow Me, yeah. 
parenthetical one last kiss. Welcome to 2012, uh, September 16th to the 22nd. Other new releases include Charmer by Amy Mann. Boy, is she. Battleborn by The Killers. Uh, Morning in America and Dreaming in Color by Brother Ali. Shields by Grizzly Bear. The Truth About Love by Pink. Hence the, our, our rejoiner. Album title goes here by Dead Mouse. Uno by Green Day. Babel by Mumford and Sons and uh, Push and Shove by No Doubt. Uh, we Are Never Ever Getting Back Together by Taylor Swift is still number one. Still number one. 2012, letting you know how far we've come since uh, 10 years ago in terms of science. World's first mother to daughter uterus transplant is undertaken at the University of Gothenburg. So a percentage of women are born without a uterus and a mother decided, I've got a uterus. I'm pretty darn close in genetics to my daughter. What if I could give her? And they researched it, and they did it, and this was the first one. Okay. Oh, that's pretty neat. I'm guessing yeah. just uterus, not ovaries, because now we're getting into weird. That's what I was going to say, Diana. My sister territory. <laughs> no comment. I don't know. That, I mean, I that, that is that is my guess question. Is it's just uterus. Would that would make the most sense. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I think, I think reconnecting blood supply to ovaries would be even more complicated. I'm gonna ask some questions. I obviously know the answer to Diana, given my knowledge of the uh -huh. female body. Was uh -huh. this was this done in for procreation? Like the idea for her to be able to because had to be because right. that's the main. Is purpose that of possible? Could I donate yeah. mine or Jr.'s uterus to someone uh -huh. and have them <laughs> birth birthing them baby? Yes, presumably. I there aren't a lot of other reasons why you would want to have a uterus if you didn't have one already. Does, because because they're kind of a pain. Because like, because Jr. doesn't one okay, in, it took until September of 2014 for the first child to be born to a woman with a transported okay. uterus. Okay. So that's yeah. And because Jr. doesn't know, um, does the uterus have any purpose other than birthing them babies? Um, I mean, it creates. That's a difficult question. Like it creates, there's like some support for the cervix and vagina. Um, I'm gonna I think need a there might be an orgasm thing involved, but not entirely. Okay. I think you you can do okay without one. That's definitely been proven. Right. You can do fine without one, unless you want to have babies. Then you have a problem. And and like the testicles, which are not only where the pee is stored, it, they're also <laughs> funny. So they serve multiple purposes. This has been the end of my anatomy lesson. I really didn't know the answer to those questions, by the way. Yeah. Sad to say, I, at 43 I years old. I find my uterus to be uh, incredibly annoying and frustrating, but, you know, <laughs> everyone is different. I will trade you my box copy of Super Mario 2 if you would like to do a For... little swappy swap. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's the one because the princess can levitate now. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. My uterus can't do that. <laughs> Okay. Sadly, we have to move on from that conversation into movies. I put trailers on everything. Yeah. All need talking about. A lot of these are, are are doozies, and this one I have a complicated relationship with. Uh, Amber Childers, Rami Malek, Jesse Plemons, Amy Adams, Joaquin Phoenix, and oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. I have unlocked a secret, the source of all creation. We record everything through all lifetimes. Good science allows for more than one opinion. Otherwise, you merely have the will of one man, which is the basis of cult. He's making all this up as he goes along. You don't see that? You are an everlasting spirit. I don't want to hear this. Just say something that's true! The Master, which was the first PTA movie I did not love. 
And I'm sort Understandable. of Understandable. It is a challenging film yes and i have liked That's most of his other stuff other than the phantom thread and the phantom thread has a phantom thread to this film in that it is just purely about the way these two people of divergent personalities relate to one another in a way that isn't well, but... dr- dramatized the way a normal movie might do that the convert wants to be an equal mm-hmm. the master only wants a servant master relationship and the entire movie is them fighting against yes. that. Yeah, that was a part of it that didn't wash over me and I didn't truly love. I think a lot of us, if we remember back, you know, Scientology was a pretty successfully repressive church, I'll say, <laughs> givingly. Mm. But, and we thought this was going to be this giant takedown on Scientology, whereas like not only did they not utter the word and pretend it's something different, it wasn't that. And I really, like some people, came out disappointed. It wasn't, you know, what people on the internet wanted to see. However, in later years, I don't know that I've managed to get all the way through the depravity of Joaquin Phoenix's character in the beginning and throughout the movie is absolutely hysterical. And I've watched it several times. He is, it's the, one of the best, the most beautiful benders that's ever been put on film. And it lasts some like years. (laughs) It, It was kind of mind boggling what this guy does to himself and why it is such, I mean, a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson's, films are not necessarily they're, they're definitely not about plot they're about character and mm-hmm. the, the performance of the character you know this is it's been five years since we had one of these movies and the last one was there will be blood which mm-hmm. yeah wow. is kind of it's about a powerhouse performance mm-hmm. by and large and this is about two powerhouse performances and yeah, joaquin phoenix also we hadn't seen him for a while because he quote-unquote quit to quote-unquote go rap and do all that silly this whatever and he's back to remind you oh shit this guy is incredible yeah, this guy is intense because he, he is very intense there's I mean, a couple it, scenes where he like fights a couple cops and gets thrown into it, it throws gets thrown into jail and then starts trashing the jail cell that's like i'm pretty sure he's hurting himself right now yeah it's like uh him and daniel j lewis have that distinction like greatest actors like i do not want to meet this person this seems mm. terrifying. <laughs> I love them, love them, love their work. I, I might, yeah, s- s- like hold up a message in the air and run out of the restaurant if I ever see, see them. Love your work, bye. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it is definitely takes a lot of cues from the beginning of Scientology mm-hmm. and Phil Soy Hoffman. Oh, God, I miss so him awesome. so much because he he captures an essence of like an L. Ron Hubbard type character. He, you know, sort of the patrician way of speaking and carrying himself that nails it without it being a one-to-one Obviously, this is, yeah, we're totally dismantling that this guy is a charlatan out of fraud. And it's like, does he believe what he's saying? It's unclear. doesn't matter. Right. His his son, Jesse Plemons, says he doesn't. But his son also, they, they seem to have not a great relationship. And, and, and the he movie's feels not, like he's being uh, replaced sorry. by this drunk idiot <laughs> as his dad's favorite. Who He's in a fancy, he's on a fancy boat. He's been invited onto this fancy boat. And... They're like, why don't you go take a shower, get cleaned up, and then we'll go do stuff. And they clearly have a lot of booze around. And that doesn't stop him from drinking a bottle of aftershave. Yes. He wants paint and uh, thinner and paint airplane thinner. glue. Uh, that's his preferred <laughs> his drink of choice so he can huff it. Photo, you know, photo processing chemicals and paint thinner. So yeah, for me, the, the movie is not only redeemed that way because it is so funny and such like, I'm not sure a human being could ever be this depraved dude it can't takes the ethanol out of a torpedo (laughs) (laughs) it It, it can't be about scientology because it's not the story of scientology it's not even really about the religion at all the story of scientology yeah 
I would honestly like to see that movie. Yeah. There mm-hmm. is a very credible account made by numerous people who say they were there that Scientology was created on a bet. On a, on a dare or mm. something like that. I, yeah. The idea of making a religion that succeeds on a bet or dare is a fascinating story. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. if you could really get in the head of that, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And he, oh, even the story before that of him getting into like black magic rituals with that guy from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's a lot of weird esoteric stuff going on in uh, L. Ron Hubbard's background that it it would be impossible to cover all of it. Right. It would have he's, to be like a couple of years worth of miniseries. He's definitely kind of a piece of shit. But if I had mm-hmm. the opportunity to live his life out, even out before Scientology, that dude had a fascinating world. Holy shit. Oh, yep. But uh, yeah, the master it's, I mean, yeah. Phantom thread is probably the one I would compare it to mm-hmm. in Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, filmography because like, yeah, you're spending a lot of time and it seems like a lot of t- stuff isn't happening and I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about it. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. That, 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 yeah, there's, there's... Isn't, it's yeah, there are no easy answers. Everything is not clear cut. Yeah. Is this guy lying? He's telling the truth. I don't know. Is he helping people? Is he not helping people? I don't know. Uh, is he actually in charge or because amy adams is his wife she only has like two scenes where actually says something but then you find out oh she is seriously in charge in a lot of ways Mm. so she is terrifying (laughs) it's such (laughs) like she might be the crazy one and it's such a strange movie that just it it, even though i didn't because i loved everything so much and then more so right up until there will be blood and mm. and not loving this more than there will be blood was was disappointing but it's not you know that's my expectations fault not necessarily the movies and i i think it's worth people like me revisiting is it on netflix yeah. i think it's streaming on netflix um, yeah i i admit i kind of avoided it i was like i've heard that joaquin phoenix's character is so unpleasant because there's a point where it's like i don't know if it is his actual perspective or if it is a fantasy of his where he's just hanging out with everyone and you realize he pictures all the women naked yeah which is one of the strangest cuts i've ever seen it's like all the women are nude now even heavily pregnant amy adams is just sort of like yeah is he just sort of spacing out or is this what the paint thinner does to him or yeah (laughs) really made Uh, me want to try paint thinner no correcting myself by the way it looks like sprague de camp is the sci-fi author who is on record as saying that he was there for the original conversation and that it was a bet I'm sure there's some truth in that, but it's also probably like mm-hmm. a bunch of drunken authors talking about a thing, and he had no idea he was going to do that until right. Which is why, yeah. then did it. That's mm-hmm. a hell of a movie. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We could call it the bet and put Joaquin yeah, Phoenix in it again. Yeah, this is streaming on Paramount Plus, by the way, due to the confusing way they have distributed movies from the Weinstein Company. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to own that catalog. And then I would actually. I yeah, would me love too. To own that catalog. Yeah, I'll take it. If I had to pick a catalog, I would love to own the Weinstein catalog for no, no, the simple no. reason. It's like, if I'm getting the money, then they're not. Maybe. Oh, there you so, go. It's just... <laughs> plus, it's an amazing catalog. It's Diana, who has harassed very right. few people. Very few. I have never masturbated into a plant at a restaurant. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. <laughs> never mind. I just didn't even try to envision <laughs> that. And then, like, man, hard pivot. Hard pivot <laughs> into something just as culturally powerful. Wood Harris. Yeah, the... I was the master lost money and so did this. It like yeah, this did not even. deserve to lose money. And well, it's so unfair. I think it, I would argue that it did. Discourse. Yes, uh, Wood Harris, <laughs> Lena Headey, hold me, kill me, kiss me, Olivia Thrillby, and the unforgettable Carl Urban. 
in Dread. This is Judge Dread. I am the law. I'm going in for the kill. Mega City One. 800 million people living in the ruin of the old world. Only one thing fighting for order in the chaos. Judges. Yeah. Red 3D. All right, I'm gonna go for bat for this. Yeah, this yeah. does oh, a me too. fantastic job of brawl of Mega City One. So the whole Judge Dread thing is it's a nuclear war. Your entire population is cramped up in the city. 800 million people, one city. Crime is going crazy. This is very much as I've talked about. Comes about in the era of rising crime rate. Mm-hmm. Okay. The crime right had been going up, and this is a reaction for it in the original comic book. And it's basically, what if fascism, yo? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what if a cop was also your judge? <laughs> uh, and, and, your and, 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 and I think your execution. I don't mean to speak for you, Jr., but I'm not a British comic reader, so like this didn't have like the cachet that it did in America. I've tried to right. read them. I don't really get it. It's not really from a time. I under, in the context you just gave, I, I understand it. It's just not, you know, trying to get into that in my twenties. My only argument for this is that this doesn't need to be a Judge Dread movie at all. Like it, that is like nope. totally incidental. It you could remove that IP completely out of it, and it would be the same fucking movie. The only thing that makes it hilarious is that they took to heart that one complaint: Judge Dread never takes his helmet off. Carl Urban does not, and he never changes his facial expression. It is hysterical. Yeah, but that's the acting challenge for him. Yeah, it was a really acting challenge to get across with body language. I think he succeeds. If you love this comic character, Mm -hmm. then you're getting the comic character on screen. You might be right. You might be right. Mm. He would be a lot more humanized. You'd see his face. He wouldn't be as much of a fascist thug as he is. It it would be a different film for that reason. So I will say yes. So I'm going to say that this had to be a Judge Dredd movie to get the movie we got. You could have a similar plot, okay. as I'm sure we're going to talk about, yeah. <laughs> a movie that's awfully similar to this. Mm-hmm. But for the overall film we got, yes, it did have to be a Judge Dredd film. It, yeah. it, Which is tough because it's kind of a poisoned IP because people think oh, yeah. Judge Dredd movie, it, it's that Sylvester Stallone movie that's just like well, trash. I, again, I don't, I don't think we have a good understanding of how strong it is overseas. Because there's still a bunch of games. It's one of the best pinball games out there. It is a much stronger IP outside of America. That's true. And it's it's written and directed by British folks. Yes. And produced by British folks. So that, that makes sense. Yeah, screenplay by Eric Garland, the guy who did 28 Days Later and Ex Machina. Alex Garland. Yeah. Alex uh, Garland. Uh, and, that's, and that's, sidebar, one of the bigger controversies on who, like a... Toby Hooper, Steven Spielberg, Poltergeist, who is responsible for this film coming out the way it is? Because mm. it has one of those interesting slash sad stories. Isn't it like a the director's kind of removed from the film? They bring in the producer writer to recut things. Yep. And mm. uh, she could have gotten a co-director credit. Is yeah. everything I've wow. one has gone on to make a bunch of fun stuff, and the other has not, which would might lead you to believe, yeah, Alex Garland yeah. made Ex, Ex Machina. That's a pretty fucking great movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go to bat for this again. Oh, I, I think love the movie. A... Love it. Well, then why did it deserve to live as funny? I just didn't. Well, no, to, because you called it dread. You put a great oh. concept executed amazingly and stuck it to an awful brand. It's like it's like mm-hmm. the talent behind that, like last Charlie's Angels movie. That's that was people capitalizing on nostalgia of nostalgia of nostalgia with that cast and that plot. You could have called it anything else and 
you might have had a hit in a new franchise on your hand. Okay. Everything about it got well reviewed. It just the franchise sucks. So like mm-hmm. getting I'm a dork in the comic dork. Getting any of my friends into a, a Judge Dredd movie ten years ago, big ask, big ask. All right, <laughs> and, all right, fair enough. And, so well, if only you had known how to sell it to them, which is, dude, it's Ray the Redemption. Yeah, it yeah, is. which we didn't know, you know, <laughs> which a lot we of us, didn't know yet how yeah. cool that was, but we'd heard. Yeah, but. Yeah, there's no way this was a copy of the Raid Redemption at yes. all. Timeline yeah. does not match up. It was written before then, but it is completely the Raid. If if this if you told me, yeah, this is the sequel to the Raid set 100 years in the Raid's future. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and it, I, I liked your the message you sent me of like I didn't think you were talking about the raid and dread. And then it started the movie and like the first half hour, 20 minutes is like fascist cops doing fascist cop shit. Okay. Rookie. It's your first day on the job. Let's see how you do one out of five rookies die on their first day. Let's go out there into these mean streets. And you're like, okay. And then they go to this massive apartment block to bust a guy mm-hmm. and the drug Lord, Lena Hitty. Yay. Amazing. Cersei Lannister is here and she's Amazing. pissed. And she's in charge. She locks the place down and is like, everyone kill those guys, just like Raid Redemption. So we're off. Then that's the rest of the movie. A crawl to the top floor, one violent act after another. And it is extremely violent film. It's it's just like if this was a book, it would be impossible to put down. Once it once it gets going, you cannot look away from what happens. And and I can't remember which one I saw first because I definitely didn't see either the raid or this in theaters. But yeah, they both share that quality in an apartment building that is just one escalating, unbelievable acrobatic, explosive thing happens after another. And I just feel sometimes, to Jr.'s point, I may not know Dread well enough, but like I just don't. Is this what he would do? I don't, I don't, I don't fucking know. Mm. What a badass. But like, it is absolutely wonderful. And yes, I kick myself for not seeing it in theaters because there's a 3D. The Raid doesn't have a 3D version. And this does. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't ever recapture that ever. And yeah. I, um, because there's so much ultra slow-mo going on in this because that's like the drug people are taking makes everything move really slow in mm-hmm. their brain. And they kind of use it to torture people, like giving someone this slow-mo drug and then throwing them out a window. Oh, come on. Can you imagine that? How terrifying that would be? It'd be fun. It'd be like like the ultimate flying adventure right before I die. Uh, Yeah. But that in 3D probably would have looked really good. But uh, there is a lot of gruesome shit. And in 3D, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's definitely more gruesome than The Raid. The Raid is like... Yeah, punishing and, and hitty, rough ass deaths in it too. Right, this is splattery. Yes, shit. Is there? Yeah. Is but there? Still... Is there a, a, a unrated cut of this? I can't remember what I which one I saw, but yeah, this is a fucking thorough recommend and should have been a, a recalculation of the dread property. It's just bizarre. This didn't go anywhere, whereas the unheard of property that was similar did, and also yeah. kind of went nowhere yeah. after that. But yeah, well yeah. that. It cost a million, like a million dollars, and this yeah. cost like forty. Yes. So, but even for a big Hollywood action movie, forty is a budget. That's pretty low budget. Yeah, yeah. Considering very low how much stuff is going on in this, how many explosions, how many dudes got to get blown up, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Dread is is an awful lot of fun. It is is really good. And I, if I had one single complaint about it, it's not even the gore. It's that there's the, the the satire of fascism is like missing completely. Mm. That I understand Dread. The comic has quite a bit of the idea even that the, even the previous movie. They did. Are, yeah, that they are unaccountable to mm. anyone. They can just decide. Uh, you deserve to die. Bang. Yeah. Yeah. They just can. Yeah. The- Literally judge, jury, and ex- executioner. I feel like you've heard that attributed to a lot of other heroes or anti-heroes, but that is literally the concept of what That's what Dread is. Uh, his job. Yeah, yeah. He reads you your rights, he sentences you, and he executes you in just a couple seconds. And I, I am seeing now, uh, looking at the wiki, what it grossed in England made it the weekend's number one film, the first restricted film since saw 3d in 2010 so that's that's how big the dread the dread ip is overseas huge huge uh, yeah dread 2012 man it is <laughs> it, it is i don't think anyone saw that coming of like oh no there's going to be a good drudge judge dread movie it's going to be like fucking balls to the wall craziness and be like really the thing with rob <laughs> schneider and hanging out with fucking <laughs> sylvester stallone on a, I don't, on a space planet or something having just watched samaritan i don't think Sylvester Stallone should be allowed to make any movies without Rob Schneider. Just saying. I didn't care for that at all. Uh, But Dread, Dread is, man, I'm sure you've heard from other people, but 10 years later, it is absolutely worth seeing to say you saw it because we have not seen many movies in whatever vein this is. It's not necessarily John Wick because it has that claustrophobic element of a nonstop action movie taking place in the same place where you can't leave or Mm. like cars don't enter into it. Because it's just scaling up a building. A claustrophobic John Wick. Yeah, yeah. fascinating. We haven't seen more stuff like this. And I'm not sure what dread, what how you could have followed this up. Because look what the raid did. Do you do the exact same thing they again? They just did it again. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what you do. Anywho, we're moving on to the next film. All of which Diane is deemed noteworthy. This is the one I don't know. Matt Bush, Scott Eastwood. Wow, how did they get Scott Eastwood in this? Robert Patrick, uh, John Goodman, Justin Timberlake, Matthew Lillard. Another Amy Adams joint. And Clint Eastwood in Trouble with the Curve. Gus, you home? Nine o'clock in the morning. Where the hell else would I be? My father is a baseball scout. I grew up around men who drank and swore. Son of a... What happened? My garage is starting to shrink. If I don't do my job, the Braves will get somebody else. In spite of you, I feel this dysfunctional sense of responsibility to make sure that you're okay. I'm not helpless. No, you are crazy. What are you fellas staring at? I'm not a pole dancer. Trouble with the curve. (sighs) Did not see this, but you know what? Judging by his track record, Clint Eastwood, a guy I don't want to like personally or professionally, love everything he does. I watched it. It's a very solid film. Yep. Yeah. So we didn't mention this, but a little context for this film. Mm. A few weeks ago, when Romney was getting the uh, Republican National Convention, Clint Eastwood oh, was asked to introduce him. Yes. He had that was the moment, wasn't it? Yep. No. He had some time to kill. So as a total improv, it was not planned. He was just killing time because he's a performer and sometimes you have to kill time. He talked to an empty chair Mm -hmm. and that started a meme. And you probably saw it. Old man yells at cloud. Old man talks to chair. And there was a lot of talk about Clint Eastwood being senile when this movie was released a few weeks later. Dumb. And it was also just, you know, it's like the beginning of social media and like, are you just discovering Clint Eastwood's a Republican? Like he's yeah, I, I he's, guarantee you. He's he's not only the content of his films. He's an elected Republican as of like well, ten years before this. And but <laughs> again, 2012, Facebook, 
Twitter, social media, we're, we know our stars, but it's not nearly as in-depth as it is at 2022 when you mm-hmm. can instantly know about a celebrity's political stance yes. if they say anything. I feel like it's just far more common today, but back in 2012, that was one of those moments of, ooh. Yeah. Okay. It was. I, th- I think people, people knew Clint Eastwood. The, the, the people knew Clint Eastwood as a longstanding movie star, but didn't really know that much about him other than our dad likes him. And then it just yeah. became well, like. Well, and that's probably going to make a bunch of assumptions about, yeah. like, he wouldn't put up with any of this liberal bullshit. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, the movie itself came out under that cloud. I think it's a great movie, though. As surprising as it is, it's an older Clint Eastwood tackling aging. What? I think homeboy is 82 at this point. It's about fucking time. He's been tackling aging for 30 years. No, I give him props. How many movies about aging are there? It is. They're mostly Clint Eastwood movies. It is something we all will go through unless we die early. Mm -hmm. And it's something our media does not prepare us for the nearly as much as it prepares us to be the chosen boy who's going to save the galaxy. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. Only I'm the chosen boy, but everyone gets old. I'm a chosen boy with bad knees, though. But yeah, no, Trouble with the Government is interesting because it's Clint is not directing. Oh, no. And yeah, we're, I think we're in is... the period where only he only shows up in his own movies, but Definitely. this is his longtime producer. Mm. And he's like, if if that's what it takes to get this movie made for you, then, yeah, I'll be in your your movie. And it's about, you know, uh, obviously a guy not connecting with his daughter, played by Amy Adams. But it's also about like, yeah, doing things the old fashioned way and times are changing. Like it's it's kind of an interesting to look at in comparison with like Moneyball, mm. uh, like he doesn't understand the sabermetrics bullshit. He's just used to like, I just watch them pitch. Just play the goddamn game. That's that's almost word for word what he says. Yeah. So I've only gone to one baseball game in my entire life. I went to Wrigley's field in Chicago just for the cultural things. And I left about halfway through because it was so boring. Oh my gosh. Once again, I, I, I believe we said this. Go minor league games. All you can eat hot dogs. All you can drink beer. There'll be a sumo fight, fireworks in like the third inning. They'll do that. Uh, It is constantly entertaining and you can imbibe more than you ever thought possible. But I found this movie entertaining because it's very much the character study of Clint's character. It's him realizing that he's reaching his end of life. You know, he's going blind. He can't do the job, which is the only thing he's cared about. There's some good relationship drama with his daughter, which makes sense. There's a reveal that doesn't feel hackneyed, but it's like, okay, actually, that makes fairly amount of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like Justin Timberlake as, you know, like a former player who's finding another way to work in baseball, but a little bit of resentment hiding under there. Like, yeah, he's doing a pretty good job. No, overall, it's it's pleasant it's a, it's a pleasant interesting little movie let and, and just let me say to the uh the, the the kids out there who hate your i love old clint eastwood movies i really want mm-hmm. to hate modern clint eastwood entertainment everything he's made is great the mule is hilarious richard jewell even the politics in the movie i don't agree with is amazing it's possible to watch a movie it's true whose politics you do not agree with and still think it's a good movie and, this is the thing okay and, and yeah uh, and that's con- me and dread literally this week <laughs> and and, con- and conversely wait whoa 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 diana you're against police officers being judge jury and executioner how about just you know 
two of the three? Come on. And, and converse, <laughs> Come on. conversely, with, with, you know, we're in this era now where we tear down our movie stars. Look at a behind-the-scenes account of working with Clint Eastwood. Great guy, says everyone. But not accused of anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, just a good guy all around. No, not that we know. Yeah, Trouble with the Curve. Uh, I feel like it's a good one to, like, watch with your dad. Yeah, which I won't. You can bond. This, the next yeah. one may have been a bit, I, I, I highlighted this. And I don't know if this is worthy of the conversation. Mm-hmm. This was during like, you know, we are like peak streaming, right? We're at peak streaming and like Avengers is out. So I'm going to the movie theaters to see things I know I'm going to love. And I'm streaming things that are cl- critically well regarded. And then I realized like, you know, my movie diet was based up of just watching everything. And I kind of let that go. I watch things I know I'm going to like, or I watch something that's so bad it's good. And then I remembered like, I'm going to try this movie and it was like, wow, this is like the perfectly not great but not bad movie you calibrate those tastes by. And, <laughs> and I was so glad I went out of my way to do it because like it's didn't hate it, but like I've seen this done a billion times better in a billion different ways. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I do. No, I don't know if you've done it, seen it done too much better. I do. I definitely. Uh, Cody Horn. I would like to hear specifically where you think you've seen this done better the shield <clears throat> cody horn american ferrara uh, okay. uh, uh frank grillo anna kendrick michael pena which was also in the shield same role jake Killenhall, not one of the box office it is end of watch we were the toughest divisions in the lapd they were the city's top guns i got him i got him try to run try to run you good partner <laughs> i'm good until one discovery policia Oh, my God. Make them the cartel's most wanted. Got a hit on y'all, man. Man, we're cops. Everybody wants to kill us. These guys, they operate by a different set of rules. You're my brother. I will lay down my life End of watch. Rated R. End of watch. End of watch. That that might be me being too hard on the film, but because it's not, again, it's not bad. I just thought it was highly derivative. I thought it was pretty it was pretty good. It was better than I was expecting, but written and directed by David Ayer. Yes. Who, last time we talked about him was Training Day. So yeah. cops running into doing bad things and running into bad things. Is Training Shit. Day not better than this? Is this not? Of course it is. is. This, of course it is. Is this not almost a, a hugely similar concept to The Shield and shot the same way? It, yeah. Well, it's it's found footagey that they're constantly cheating. A lot of body cams. Have. Yeah. They're up. They have body cams, the car cabs. He's waving a camera around. You know, but there's plenty of shots where it's like, well, who has the camera now? That doesn't make any sense. Yep. But they're cheating. That's fine because it keeps it exciting. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're two cops in South Central. Here we are again. <laughs> and they are running into bad shit. They are doing bad shit. And then they get in way <laughs> over their heads. It's so far over their heads, they have no idea how far in over their heads are. Mm-hmm. And the feds won't tell them and everyone's fucking with them. And then, oh, God. Uh, now everyone's got a case and they're coming for them. Yeah, that's pretty solid. I think my biggest complaint is like there's a love story with Jake Gyllenhaal and Anna Kendrick. That's not my complaint. My complaint is they start dating and they get married within like two months and they plan a whole ass wedding, like a real wedding <laughs> in two months. No, bitch. No, you don't. You can't even get a dress that fast. That is a lie. And I know because all the footage has like date stamps and stuff on it. So I know they get they, they hook up and get married in less than two months mm. and they planned a real wedding like they didn't just elope no, a dinner and cocktails you lied to me movie you're liars <laughs> but but you think this, you. I, I had a feeling and i didn't rewatch this because i watched it twice 10 years ago that if i discovered this movie 10 20 years later i'm like this is a great watch and and i, I don't mean mm-hmm. to shit on it it's just that like at the time 
I thought this premise had been kind of done to death. Uh, we just talked about the Rampart mm-hmm. movie, which is mm-hmm. based on the same thing The Shield is based on. Mm-hmm. At the time, I thought it was done to death. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like this is, they're not all bad cops. They clearly think they are the good guys, but they do some shit that's not above board. Mm. But it's, and, and it's, it's sort of treated like that's just how it goes. That's the day. And so could you call it propaganda because it's just glossing over? They have to do what needs to be done. Yeah. Or, or is this, you know, actually commenting on that? You, that's up to you to decide, I suppose. I mean, you know, I think it's just, it's, it's kind tough. of training. It's training day with a gimmick. And mm. I don't know. I, again, I don't mean no, to be so hard on this film. It's a lot less complicated than training day. Training day has a lot more okay depth and discussion and and this is just yeah it's an interesting watch but you can, there's some stuff to discuss like obviously these guys are not all good guys but they They're also run into some really <laughs> fucked up shit and they do some bad stuff mm-hmm. yeah they do some very bad stuff they're pretty bad but i think that's kind of you know the thing we're not finding a pervasive consent for like you can't make up for your bad duties when you feel like being heroic sometimes like uh mm. being a constantly corrupt force in society. And then I pulled a cat out of a tree. Like, yeah, yeah that's it. Can't all make up for that. Anyway, I, I don't have a ton of poignant shit to say about end to watch. I, I really thought it was like, I just hadn't seen a solid mediocre movie in a long time, given the nature of I, our on demand society. I would put it above mediocre. Sure. I think uh, kind of like trouble with the curve. Well-made watchable fine. Anyone's favorite movie. no, but worth a watch, right? They're, you know, entertaining, pretty interesting. And you I know, I, but definitely above average. Before this, making it sound like this is below. Average. I know. I should. I, I don't mean. To, and I and I also watched Nightcrawler again, and like that mm. is my favorite Gyllenhaal, whatever mm. that is, and that's pretty much what he's doing here. A way mm. too confident sociopath. Um, mm. And I would like to. I'd like to revisit that more. He's. Way creepier in Nightcrawler. Yes, for sure. But like, <laughs> Way uh, creepier. There's, there's ethical lines all... Uh, uh, gray areas all around. Moving into television. 2012. What are we at? September 16th to the 22nd. Season 3 of Boardwalk Empire, otherwise known of when I pulled out of Boardwalk Empire, the most elegantly I've ever been bored by people I love. Aww. So I've always been very jealous of wife's ability to stop watching any TV show mm-hmm. when she thinks it's reached its natural end. Ooh. Okay. And at the end of Boardwalk Empire 2, that's when the young character dies. She just went, this is it. This is the end. Yeah. I'm not going to watch anything more of this. And mm-hmm. she got a perfectly short self-contained series that gave her everything she wanted. But Nucky didn't die. It was no. Uh, no. Michael, Michael uh, Pitt died. Michael Pitt. Yeah. Yeah. But then the Charlie Cox came in. No. Uh, oh, and um, shoot. What's his name? Who became kind of the big bad of the show? That's, Michael Shannon uh, wasn't Michael Shannon. No, not Michael Shannon. He's been around the whole time. This is me. this is the it, lasting image it left on Diana. If she can't remember the actor, <laughs> no, I'm picturing it. Bobby Cannavale. Fuck. Oh, Bobby Cannavale comes in as the big bad, and he is really, really creepy because he's like an insane person, and he's like he's physically awesome. very menacing. I love that guy. And that guy, uh, yeah, he's one of those, like, I love that guy. It feels like he was frozen in time for 30 years throughout Scorsese's entire career and then unearthed so Scorsese can put him <laughs> in things now. He's in all of his movies now. I love Barbie, Bobby Cannavale. Yeah, so he helps keep uh, season three going, at least. I yeah. do like that guy. Just I, I love Scorsese so much and his television contributions that aren't documentaries 
I don't like at all. Here's a show I was like fully on board with, but I have rare. It's why I like hate Showtime shows typically. Boy, do they go off the rails. Fucking Weeds. Weeds mm-hmm. ends on Showtime, which is a show that went probably like three, four years past when it sh- the story should have ended. Yeah, it's, 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 it's so is not about. Mary Louise Parker selling weed at, at certain points that like, what the fuck are we even doing here? I don't care who her kid is dating. This is, <laughs> why is Kevin Nealon still here? Oh, because it's got to be funny sometimes. Weed should have ended a long time ago and it's one of those things I resent putting as much time into because it just got so silly. But it finally ends on Showtime after like seven or eight seasons. Yeah, and of course, everyone always refers to Breaking Bad and weeds together in the same sentence where they did when the two shows came out. But Vince Gilligan wrote Breaking Bad without knowing that a drug dealing anti-hero show already did. Yes. And when he did find out about weeds, he did everything he could to prevent his show from looking too similar to weeds. Yeah. Yeah. After and, Which is irritating because De- Breaking Bad makes the deliberate choice like, you shouldn't still be rooting for Walter White at this point. No. Whereas in this series, like this, she becomes like the worst mom and the worst human being, but she is still very much Who elevated as the hero. For. Yeah. As the hero throughout all this, but it's like, ah, dude, I don't care about the greatest thing weeds ever did, by the way. And I have no idea how they did it. Look up their theme song. After the second season, every episode, oh, yeah. their theme song is performed by a different band and not just like obscure, ba- like huge bands perform this awful fucking song on uh, differently on every episode of weeds i still think that's amazing and more shows should do that if we still have theme songs in the skip intro era and a show i probably should have loved great title tells me exactly what it is just not watching a lot of network as we get in the streaming era the mob doctor debuts on fox everything you need to know about this show is the title Mm -hmm. that's it you mm. get exactly what you're expecting. Except the mob doctor is a woman. Oh my god. Who knows? Girls like to gab, but why don't I don't know if that's a good idea. She might squeal to the cops. Yeah, the mob doctor. I never saw it. Revolution. Oh my god. This was Comic-Con this year, they were all over the place. Is this not the series like What If No Electricity? This is the What, what? If No Electricity series. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, so, yeah, 15 years before the start of a show, some unknown event, the change, if you will, made people not be able to use electricity at all. Electricity in your computer, your car engine, your jet engines, your batteries, nothing. So, you know, collapse, warlords, militias. Fast forward 15 years, and the Matheson family has a possible mystery box, oh. which may reverse its effects. Oh, God damn you, J.J. Abrams, and you have mystery it's, boxes. I get that there's stories to tell here, just not for very long. It'd be a good Twilight Zone episode. But, like, yeah, a, they, uh... can you imagine a world without electricity? And, like, ask Michael Landon. It was almost all he did on, te- <laughs> on television. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's can- ask, ask J.K. Hill of Bounty Love. It's canceled in May of 2014, and then a comic book in 2015 wraps up the story. Right. This was, hey, but th- this was, one. this was like a ton of money was spent on this show. And they promised games and comic tie ins. And I would guess 
today, whatever numbers they got canceled with, most TV executives would kill themselves to have. (laughs) But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, like it was a pretty big failure in that regard. But at least it found enough fans to care of a story being wrapped up in a comic book. Digital comic book. So that's an even lower bar than a regular comic book. You see, I kind of want to watch it to see how fucked the characters are because I see Giancarlo Esposito in the cast. Oh, shit. All the other characters are fucked. I love that. What would you do for the electricity that I have? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then, man, I'm not even going to speak cynically about yet another show. Ben 10 Omniverse debuts on Cartoon Network. Again, I've always said I appreciate Ben 10 just because it uh, ages the character in real time every once in a while. A character ages up when they make new series. So I don't know what Omniverse was. I just know they sent us a lot of Wii games at the job I was working at that we ignored entirely. Speaking of Wii games, oh my goodness, Kirby's Dream Collection Special Edition on Wii. Shit, I didn't look into this at all, but I I know what it was. It was a collection of old Super Nintendo games on a Wii disc. I don't know what made it Special Edition, as if this collection had existed before kirby's is a gift for any fans this Mm. is basically mario all-stars for kirby Mm -hmm. and there are so many bonuses in this thing and again this is 2012 the death spiral of the wii is going on so this is just nintendo trying to throw anything launch the upcoming juggernaut that will be the wii u yeah and nintendo has not done this again you cannot buy these kirby games at retail or download them. You can download them if you, some of them if you subscribe to their service, but like Nintendo has not made these games available for sale. This in the Mario All-Stars collection for Wii. But however, you can still, I've still seen these in like Walmarts and Targets, like sitting in old, there's still Wii games out there. So I would say pick it up. And then one of the biggest franchises, I think to come about in 10 years, Borderlands 2 solidifies itself as massive, massive, massive. And kind of takes a really long break, to be honest, an uncomfortably long break. But uh, Borderlands 2 met with the same kind of accolades as the first one. Critically, I don't, it didn't do like your nines and tens, but the audience loved it. A funny, a looter shooter with humor in it uh, with an interesting uh, cell shaded design. So like JR said earlier, some versions of this you can download and it it looks pretty cool today because of the design choices and it is always moving and it's always funny. It's just, I think it's sort of a bad loot shooter. The third one's a little better. It's just not my favorite thing in the world, but uh, Borderlands 2. Any experience with Borderlands 2, Diana? Nope, sorry. (laughs) And then La Mulana on WiiWare is out this week. So this is Nintendo hard it is legitimately unfair. The <laughs> threats are not telegraphed, but I yeah. think it may be fun because it's unfair. Mm. I think this is genuinely trying to be unfair for a point because this game is all about exploring the world. This game is all about your new discoveries. And when in real life, when you go into discover a new place, there could be a pit you don't know about. There could be all these dangers you don't know about. And you only find out about them when you die. But with a video (laughs) game, you can Mm. die and then keep exploring. So it's it's an interesting game for that reason. Cool. Is it available anywhere else following the WiiWare release? (laughs) I I think it's available on Steam. Yes, it's on Steam now. Because, yes, if you're a new listener, everything on WiiWare is gone. Gone. Yeah. Inaccessible. That is many many games have gone with it forever as well. It's everything gone and not re-released anywhere. Again, Nintendo hates money. They do. There's no reason <laughs> the Switch couldn't emulate a Wii. Yep. And your your There's no Wii reason could... they couldn't sell Mario sixty four, but they won't. They won't. And, and and we were talking about that now. Even now, like 
switch digital purchases like it better be cheap because there's no guarantee I'll get this on the next system I buy. Still in 2022. Well, so, yeah, Nintendo, I think, is trying to pivot to the Nintendo online strategy where yes. you will buy nothing from us. You will just subscribe for the rest of your life yeah. and then you'll get it. But even that they're messing up because the yep. way to do that would be like, here's every game we've ever made ever. Yes. Go <laughs> get it and for I your... Apologize, JR. We want to talk about this. The gall of them this week announcing, yeah, Mario Party 3 coming next year. Oh, is it the easy emulatable game coming? Ne- is that coming next year to your service? <laughs> One of four games coming next year to your service? Jesus Christ. Disney Plus is trying its best to give you everything it's ever had, and you're yeah. trickling releases across years. <laughs> I, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Crazy. They want twice as much as Disney Plus for just the... the ugh, ugh, moving on. Oh, moving on. We got to talk about who lived and who died during this period, but we also got to tell you, listen to Laser Time, listen to Vigigame Apocalypse every Friday. Uh, we'll be talking about a bunch of fun stuff this weekend, I, including... Uh, how GoldenEye is being released across <laughs> Xbox and uh, uh, Switch. Speaking on that subject, I'll probably have stuff to yell about. Di, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at ListeningNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, that's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, the bad news is we have another movie with Adam Sandler and Andy Samberg in it. The good news is it's not That's My Boy. It's an animated one. Yeah, it's not bad. It's, I, I ignored it for a long time. It's very good. Yep. Uh, we also have Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis as the same guy. I fucking love that guy. Somehow. And speaking of things I fucking love, mm. Daniel Day-Lewis, action star. I cannot wait. Cannot yes! wait. Yes! Oh, that movie holds up so well. I just went to my sister's wedding, and they made their debut as bride and groom with that soundtrack. Nice. Because for some reason... I was in a kilt, just so you know. It sounds very Scottish and less French or Native American. <laughs> JR, where can folks find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S. Yeah, follow JR. He's one of the more insightful people, uh, I think, on the internet who's constantly writing weird things. I haven't seen anybody contextualized that way. Is that a good compliment for you? I feel yeah, like yeah, I take it. I take it as a compliment. Shit on your Woody Allen comment earlier and I still feel bad about it. <laughs> and with that out of the way, we gotta know who died. Who died this well, week? The only person I found that died that grabbed my interest was in 2012 yeah. was when we lost Steve Sable, founder of NFL Films. He died at 69. Mm, weed number. Nice. NFL films, they brought us such films as uh Little Giants? I don't. They they no. <laughs> think they make no, just, they do, no, I'm documentaries. Just I know. They they make documentaries. They basically started at the same time as ESPN. ESPN hired them mm-hmm. and away we go. Hundred Emmys or so later. Wow. So, yeah. Whew. Uh and with that out of the way, what happens, JR? It's time for the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Turning 75, born in Portland, Maine, September 21, 1947. His father, Donald Pollock, was a traveling vacuum salesman. That, that can't be a name. Not not that in the 47. The, and he would later go on to change it. Probably for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So, as a child, the child of Donald Pollock witnessed one of his friends being struck and killed by a train. Is this, is this is this your Stephen favorite author? King. God damn it! it is Stephen King? God damn yes, it! I was gonna guess that just He's on me. My, I thought he was yeah. way. That's my dad's age. I thought he was way older than my dad. 
No. Oh, I mean, I saw a kid hit by a train for real. Yeah. Yep, for real. Oh. He has no memory of the event. His family told him after leaving home to play with the boy, King returned speechless and seemingly in shock. The kid wasn't oh dead. God. The kid wasn't sleeping. Other... Ray Brower was no. dead. A couple of other facts. In 1966, he displayed an interest in horror and EC comics. Ooh. His no. first <laughs> story was published in 1965. I was a teenage grave robber <laughs> he confessed uh, get him yeah <laughs> Filmed Gosh, 65 so wait he was like 18 when he published his first story he was a very young wow author. that's his first Damn. story i feel so I mean, bad for big readers which i used to be because people who cared about that genre throughout almost our entire lives you could submit your thing and be a published author and then get a contract and nobody gives a shit about th those periodicals don't even exist anymore they do they just have a incredibly small trip so i have a total of three published short stories i got one out there and, somewhere and i i think i made enough to go out to sushi yeah yeah and you can't just send unsolicited things anymore. They won't read them right. because if they publish something similar, you can sue them and they'll owe you money. Right. Yeah. But movies talked about. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. 1986, Maximum Overdrive, oh, 87, yeah. Creepshot 2, 87, Tales from the Dark Side, 89, Pet Cemetery, 91, Golden Years, TV miniseries, 1996, Thinner. Thinner. 1997, The Shining, the, the TV series. Mm. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, we didn't cover that on the on the show just yet. 2002, Rose Red. 2006, Desperation. 2007, Diary of the Dead. Did, did <laughs> we not cover Lawnmower Man yet? Or is that on a laser tag? Oh, no, we did. Yeah. yeah. Lawnmower yeah, Man. Yeah, which did. he wanted to disown, <laughs> as he which should have. Which isn't sure. really. Yeah. It's not really. It's not his. Yes. It's yeah. not just that they oh, fucked up his story. They stole his title and then yeah. put his name on it. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, and it, the, the first miniseries of it. We talked yeah. about that too. Yes. Yep. Yeah, this is an incomplete list. Yeah. I mean, okay. I didn't want to list it's every so much. In a couple of years so, ago, uh, we did the, the best and worst of Stephen King adaptations. I will never get over Miguel Ferrer starring in Night of the Flyers as the worst protagonist, the meanest protagonist of all time, Twin Peaks fans. And somebody in there, he's a he's a tabloid reporter, and his boss at one point is like, "Oh man, the fatties at the checkout counter are gonna cream their jeans." Like, <laughs> what an insipid <laughs> film. <This> is... <laughs> Sorry. Hey, yes. but yeah, yeah. Stephen King is a fascinating guy. Back in June of 1999, he was hit by a truck, mm. and a lot of us. I was a fan at the time. It was the early days of Usenet, and I was part of a Stephen King Usenet group. And there oh, was wow. all sorts of chatter about, are we going to lose our author? Is he dead? But, you know, right. 23 years later, he's he's still around, still cranking out works. And I got to say, I think he's probably going to be one of the very few American 20th century authors who is a household name yeah. in the 22nd I century. I don't doubt it. Ooh, I, I, think I think so. I was incorrect I think, yeah. in my prediction of its success, making a lot of Stephen King movies come back to theaters because it seems like they just gave up on movies altogether because for different reasons. But yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, because because kids are rediscovering those movies at such a clip, man. And mm -hmm. yeah, you might have more characters and scenarios under his belt than Stan Lee. And yep. yeah, yeah, I totally, yeah. I'm totally there with you. And, mm -hmm. and because, yep. because I promised you guys this and the listeners, I said I would play the best stupid Kingdom Hearts clip I could find. Juxtaposing the ultra seriousness of JRPGs and Disney characters, this clip made 
The Video Game Apocalypse boys and I laugh for like two weeks. I present to you a clip from Kingdom Hearts 1. We are together. There isn't a second that we're not. Except I can feel it. Our connection's weaker. Why is that? What's wrong, Sora? Hmm? I want us to be together forever. <laughs> <laughs> Holy Lord. Just how do you squeeze Winnie the Pooh into all this sword fighting nonsense? It's Jesus. Whew. Oh, goodness. Sorry. Still, I'm sorry. I'm red in the cheeks. This That still makes me laugh a lot. But thanks a lot to our patrons, patreon.com slash laser time. Got a bunch of other bonus content for you over there. We're going to close out with No Rain from Blind Melon. A very strange song considering... This doesn't sound like any... I remember there was almost too much integrity in the alternative era where Blind Melon came on MTV and was like, if you think we have other songs like No Rain on the album, don't buy it. There, nothing on the album sounds like No Rain. They were yep. kind of a hard rocking band, and I didn't know till years later, you only see that guy in like one other music video and then like two Guns N' Roses video. Axel liked him, um, huh. and he's in a couple Guns N' Roses videos. Shannon something. Wait, Shannon Hoon? Yeah. Yeah, Shannon Hoon, uh, he passed away in 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lead singer. Two Blind and a half Mel- albums into Blind around. Melon. But yeah. No Rain, I just heard it in the car commercial. Like, how appropriate. Um, yeah, it's one of those where it's like, what does it feel like to write just like a perfect song? Yeah. Like, Tar- this is so charming. How do you do it? Do you just coast the rest of your life? or It's it's not even about anything profound. Never be able to write something like this? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, just imagining when there's, it's not raining. It's pretty kind of a sweet song if you think about some of the other stuff the band made and the way the band lived. But we'll close out with that. Patreon.com slash laser time. Follow JR and Diana on Twitter. Tell a friend about the show. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye. I just want someone to send me